Welcome to What Do You Think? I'm Al. And I'm C. And uh, today we are reviewing, uh, the, if not the biggest blockbuster of December, maybe the biggest blockbuster of 2022? Who knows? Uh, time will tell. We'll uh, find out. Yeah, we're reviewing uh, the long-awaited return to Pandora. James Cameron, 13 years in the making. Avatar, The Way of Water. That was a terrible, terrible impression of James Horner's score. See, I you know. should you should feel ashamed. You've dishonored his memory. Yeah. Um. I'm. 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 I'm not. Ju- I'm. I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed for you, and embarrassed that our audience had to listen to that. I'm not. That's what. <laughs> that's what makes you even more upset. Is that I like have no awareness of it. I'm like, yeah, yeah it was fine. I, I sing great. Yeah. So, um, for those of you that have been living under a rock for the past three. 13 years, which, you know, maybe some of you have. <laughs> I don't know. We knew some, we knew some uh, college students like that. Anyways. Yeah, yeah. We knew some some of those doomsday preppers out there who, like, <laughs> hit out for, like, the better part of a decade because they were convinced. Fun fact, a lot of them are the re- are, are in the region that which we reside in. Right. Um, anyways. So, anyway, Avatar was the biggest movie in the world and the highest grossing movie of all time for a long time. Up until Avengers, right? Uh, yeah, up until was it Endgame or Infinity War? Oh, I thought the first Avengers beat it. No, not <laughs> no, dudes. Yeah, no. Oh. See, uh, the first Avengers got somewhat close, but Avatar was still far and away the biggest grossing movie of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, it really wasn't until either Infinity War or Endgame, and I'm too lazy to check, but one of those two dethroned it. But then they re-released Avatar in China. Uh, to make of, it more yeah so it's it's back at number one of course uh, it is so for those of you that don't know avatar tells the story of this marine veteran jake sully whose brother dies who was in this program called the avatar project that was being done in this distant planet of pandora they are the the company rda was so against destroying the Avatar because it costs so much money that they just begged him to take over, and he does. Mm-hmm. And you know, because he's a former Marine, they're like, "Okay, you're gonna be the 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 you're gonna be kind of the security detail Avatar, right?" And mm-hmm. you know, he's crippled. You know, he can't walk because of a war, and he uh, he pretty much takes advantage of using the Avatar because he can walk again. He meets a native, an actual Navi warrior princess named uh, Natiri. Uh, he's able to convince her tribe to kind of take take him under their wing. He and then we get the plot of Fern Gully and or Dances with Wolves and or Pocahontas, where he's like, "Oh, you know what? I'm gonna go against my colonizing evil." side and side with the the native peoples so he goes native and you know fights the human beings in the process he kills the main bad guy of the movie colonel Quaritch, kills him and uh you know the human beings leave and he gets to make uh blue cat babies with natiri and live happily ever after or so you think (laughs) so um, there's, I was debating like how to open up this, this review, see like what mm-hmm. question to ask you. And I think like, there's really no good question to start like 
Like, because if I ask you, well, what did you think of the first Avatar? You know, that's a the, complicated answer. Not just for, that, but but the, for for someone in the film world, it's complicated. Well, yeah. not not just that. It it literally is like, okay, we're doing we're basically going to be doing two reviews, one of the first movie and then of this one. And I feel like that's, I mean, the people who listen to this probably already know how we feel about it, and those who have no idea who we are. It's like, listen, we have the same opinion on Avatar that most of the population do. We were impressed with the visuals. The story mm. was forgettable. And if you were to ask us to quote the movie, unless we had seen it, like, at the most a week before, we probably can't quote a line from the movie. So no. that that's probably every that's probably everybody and their mother's opinion on Avatar. Here's actually I have a question for you. Sure. What? And and maybe maybe the answer is obvious, but what do you think made the first Avatar such the explosive hit that it became? Oh, dude, that's an easy answer: the three D surcharge. <laughs> so you think that's what did it alone? I, um. Okay. I. So. Like the that's that's a tongue in cheek answer, obviously, but yeah. make no mistake: the three D surcharge is a big, big, maybe not the reason, but it's a big reason why uh, the first Avatar movie made over a billion dollars. I mean, it, 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 like, literally, the math on the on the 3D surcharge, so, so, you know, you're paying, like, what, $4 more for the ticket? Something like yeah. that, depending? So you're like, buying one and a quarter tickets for every ticket. Yeah, and Hollywood saw that, and that's, and li- that's literally what started... It literally what started the craze of, like, oh... We, we need to always have a 3D option for our movies. Mm-hmm. Like, it wasn't because they, they saw what James Cameron was able to do with 3D and were like, wow, that's a whole new creative outlet we can explore. Fuck that. No, they literally said, oh, shit, you can charge more for a ticket for the 3D glasses and people are willing to pay it. And then you had all these shitty 3D conversions that happened most famously. And I can attest from personal experience because I actually did watch it. Uh, Clash of the Titans had an infamous. Oh, I know it's fa- it's famously awful. It had an infamously bad uh, 3D conversion process that the director uh, denounced, and he was like, "It was a uh, Louis Leterrier, I think, directed, if if I'm not mistaken." And mm-hmm. he pretty much was like, "I, the, basically, right as we right as we had finished editing the movie, the studio took it away from me and said, like, oh, we're gonna do a very quick 3D conversion,' and that." You know, obviously, contractual reasons he had to when he was like into, you know, when 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 filmmakers do press for their movies. But you can't talk shit. Yeah, you can't talk shit. It's 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 in your contract that you cannot talk shit during the press or Mm -hmm. during the press run. So he basically had to lie to a bunch of journalists and a bunch of like film blog nerds about like, oh, yeah, no, you know, this three. We 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 saw what Fox did with Avatar, and we're like, oh, we we're gonna do that too with this. And then obviously everybody watched. Same lead actor too. That's what's yeah, funny. Sam Worthington, yeah, same lead actor. Um, but yeah, he he denounced it, and you know then Marvel started doing this. Uh, when do you think it died down? Like, what was the moment where it stopped happening as much? Oh, um, all right. So there were there were like. There were like three tiers of of 3D movie, right? Mm-hmm. You had the S, you had the A tier, which was they shot with a 3D camera rig, and the the 3D element of the film was always part of the process. Um, 
that you had that with uh, most famously with the Hobbit trilogy. Mm-hmm. Um, you had that with uh, with um, oh gosh, I'm blanking on this movie. Um, uh, oh god, what what was like another movie that was like famously like we're shooting this in three? Oh, uh, Ang Lee with uh, Life of oh, Pi. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Billy Lynn's Halftime Walk. You know. Uh, Ang Lee, uh, uh, yeah, Ang Lee's Life of Pi is very famous for that. Yeah, so so you had those movies that were like, we planned to shoot this in 3D. We shot this in a 3D rig. The post production was all done in 3D. Like so, basically, like those movies, they they kind of demanded to be seen in 3D. And then you had mm-hmm. the B tier, which was it wasn't shot on a 3D rig. But the the post production process of to to convert it into 3D was actually very well done. For the most part, this was most of the Marvel movies that came out with a 3D option. Um, I think I don't I don't think I saw I know I saw Iron Man three three in 3D and thought to myself like oh this looks fine. Um, I think most people agree that the best movie that came out with like in that converted 3D process was Guardians of the Galaxy. That was very, you know, that was great. That was yeah. great. Yeah. I also, okay, not related to, okay, was Hugo converted or shot? No, Hugo, Hugo was shot on a 3D rig. Let me just say, that is probably one of the best 3D films I've ever seen. Yeah. Like, in the way it was meant to be shot in 3D, now that you've confirmed that for me. Yeah. It's like, it is fucking gorgeous. Yeah, so Hugo was that other movie where I was like, there was there was another movie that was like, made by a famous director that was meant to be seen in 3d and yeah it's hugo uh it, funny enough there's a you can find this on youtube there's like a behind the scenes feature you remember that final tracking shot in hugo during the party scene like the last scene yeah. of the movie right yeah there's a behind the scenes where where we see the footage of the guy like doing the steady cam rig and there's like a gopro on top of the 3d camera rig right Mm-hmm. And you 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 see him do the whole thing, right? Mm-hmm. And then you only see the top of the rig, right? So you see him do, and all the walls are moving, and the actors are moving to their different positions. It is super impressive. Mm-hmm. And then at the very end, the steady cam up, like sets the the steady cam rig down, and you just hear him go like, because <gasps> 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 I mean, these rigs. So basically, you're putting heavy. two full size cameras on a ninety degree angle on each other, right? So mm-hmm. it's basically twice the weight. So yeah. that guy was like, had done the biggest workout in his life. He just, ooh, ooh. and then in the background, you just hear Marty Scorsese say, it goes like, wow, is that a camera? <laughs> <laughs> As the I guys, forgot, yeah, no, it's, it's really funny. You can find yeah. it on YouTube, but, but, but yeah. That's funny. So, so again, point being is that like, there are some films where the filmmakers went that extra step to be like, no, we're going to do this. Like it's meant to be. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I think also either, either the third or the fourth Transformers was shot on a 3d rig. I think. Oh yeah. One, 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 a, f- I thought one, a few of them were. So, so I definitely know that the last one was, but I don't mm-hmm. know if the third, cause the third had really good 3d, but I'm not, I don't know if that was just a really good post production conversion process or if they did shot on a rig. Um, I can't recall. But you know, what would be interesting. Is there ever been a movie where it's like one you wouldn't really make for 3D, but it was done in 3D? I wonder if like oh, I dude, know it's all dude. What? Billy Lynn's halftime walk. 
Oh, that's right. You're right. It was made for it, it, three It's days. literally a movie about, I mean, the only, or yeah, Billion's Halftime Walk is a movie about, you know, a soldier going to a halftime, uh, a halftime show during a Cowboys game. And, um, I mean, there's flashbacks to it, to his, like, dur- during his tour of duty in Iraq. And you're, you can make the, you can make the argument that, like, oh, a battle scene in 3D, that's cool. But literally, it's like, oh, you're just seeing him, like, surrounded by cheerleaders and fireworks and stuff. And, and Ang Lee was convinced, like, oh, this needs to be shot in 3D. And it needs to be shot in a uh, high frame rate, so. And that's what made people, that's why the movie, the biggest complaint about it was that it made everybody feel uncomfortable. Because you could, it was so detailed in the yeah. way you could see the pores in a really weird way of the, of their skin. Yeah, yeah, Um so the, I could I might say like well that one because like Hugo is a bit of a fantasy movie, uh, obviously the the Hobbit are, are fantasy, um, a lot of sci-fi. It kind of makes sense to shoot it in three D. Oh, Prometheus was also shot on three D. That's right. Right. Prometheus actually looked really good in three D. It did. Prometheus had other problems that we're not going to talk about. <laughs> yeah. But yes, it looked but, good. But but point being, so we have these tiers, right? You have. The guys who shoot on a 3D camera rig and it looks great, it, obviously, and it almost always being shot by these master directors, Scorsese, mm-hmm. Scott, uh, uh, Lee, and I know a lot of people would hate this, but Michael Bay is a master of composition, so uh, there. Oh, he's and, a great cinematographer. No one's denying that. Yeah, and then you had these like post-produ- post-production converted ones that weren't bad. You know, again, Garden, Guardians of the Galaxy is a big example uh, like you pretty much, pretty much, well, by definition, all animated films fall under this because there is no actual physical camera. So That's true. Pixar usually, Pixar and DreamWorks were almost always, Pixar, DreamWorks, and Disney were almost always doing really, really good ones. I think Pixar was the best out of the three. And then you just had the shitty ones where it's like the post-production conversion is really bad. Like there's no point to it. Like there, there isn't even a real like 3D depth effect. So you're kind of mm-hmm. like, why the fuck am I watching this? Mm-hmm. Um, so those are really bad. And I think eventually, I, I think eventually what killed 3D honestly was just that there weren't enough movies taking doing a good job with the 3d that people were just like i'm not gonna watch it in 3d and here's Mm -hmm. the thing would you rather you know you're gonna be making money if your screening is in 2d because people will see it then you run the risk of it's 50 50 if you're gonna get people to show up on a 3d screening and Mm -hmm. i think studios were just like you know what we're just gonna do we're just gonna do 2d 2D again yeah 2d again um but and, and I think that's what happened. Ironically, I – this is actually kind of funny. Obviously, the, the release date for this movie got announced like two, three years ago, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Um, but still, theater chains were still like, oh, shit, we got we to gotta do all our 3D – stuff again so you know have the glasses out you know have yeah. have the settings ready and a lot of theaters were caught with their pants down and i'm like why you, like you guys know that james cam james cameron has said that he will never not release a a 3d version of a movie that he makes like he's, yeah. he's been very clear on that so like i'm shocked that people were like oh shit he he wants the majority of the screenings to be in 3d oh uh oh oops yep. oops shit uh, whoops yeah but 
Um, so, so yeah, that, I think that that's pretty much the big thing. What happened? Yeah. Um, what, what I want to talk to you to see about before we get into our review and you know, we yeah. won't, we won't spend too long on this. No, no, no. All right. So, um, let me pull up my little research paper here. Mm-hmm. Da, da, da. Let's see. Where is it? Uh, Okay. So he, James Cameron. So so this the Avatar 2 was announced like a month after the first Avatar came out <laughs> yep. in theaters, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh it came out, right? Yeah, it was. All right. So the the release date was given somewhere around December 2015. That was the first release date. Mm-hmm. And James Cameron then said, I, I hired a team of writers to help me write the second one. This was in 2012. Yep. And he, he got a literal writer's room and then announced, we're not just doing a sequel we're doing like two more movies and then two more movies became three more movies. And then three more movies became, became at the four moment. M- they are still saying they're going to, there's going to be a total of five avatars at yeah. this time. All right. So writing on writing on the, the sequels, right. Which mm-hmm. he said, Oh, it's going to like, it's going to take like six weeks to write this, this, the, the movie. Then he announced, I have a writer's room and we're writing, Two movies, three movies, four movies. Mm-hmm. They started writing in 2012. Mm-hmm. They didn't finish writing the scripts for these four movies until 2017. Five years it took mm-hmm. to write these movies. Right. And then, you know, when 2015 came around, he says, OK, December 2016 is is when we're going to we're going to start shooting. And then it became 2018 and then it got pushed to 2020. Right. Mm-hmm. Because didn't they start doing a little bit of shooting in 2019? I thought no, they started shooting. They started shooting literally after the scripts were complete. Okay. So, so they started doing shooting afterward. So here's here here's what happened. James Cameron goes to his producer John Landau and goes, "So I want to do what we did in the first Avatar, but underwater." And James Land and John Landau was like, "Okay, great." And then later on, he's like, wait, how do we make the mocap suits work underwater? <gasps> Uh-oh. So they had to do a bunch of R&D for that, right? Mm-hmm. So that that obviously took up time. Mm-hmm. Um, it just... <laughs> so so this happens. They, they finally get the scripts written in 2017. Mm-hmm. And James Cameron... So this is actually really fascinating. He hired... Uh, he hired... So, so he hired four writers, but two of them are a writing team. So, mm-hmm. so there were like three different writers mm-hmm. and, or three different writing teams. Mm-hmm. And he goes like, we're all going to write the, the general outline for these four films. And then I'm going to assign a film to each of you. And he gave the second film to Rick Jaffa and Amanda Silver, mm-hmm. uh, who, who, wait, is that right? Uh, is that right? Yes. 
Because they wrote, they wrote, uh, yes. So he gave them Avatar The Way of Water. Mm-hmm. And then he gave, he gave Josh Fre- Friedman uh, Avatar 3. He gave Shane Salerno Avatar 4. And I think Josh Friedman got Avatar 5. Okay. So so they all they all each wrote at least one like on their own, mm-hmm. and then uh, and then uh, he would he would co-write all of them, mm-hmm. and by 2017 they started shooting things that weren't in water like like footage that weren't in water with uh, Zoe Saldana mm-hmm. and uh, and Sam Worthington, mm-hmm. and then 2018 was when they did the shoot for originally they were going to shoot all four movies back to back. Yeah. And then Fox basically said, fuck no. Well, no, this is what happened. Fox said, Hey, we're thinking about selling ourselves to Disney. The risk for four movies would make Disney be like, ah, no, fuck this. So instead we're going to, can you just do the first two? And James Cameron agreed. He said, okay, we'll just do the first two. So all of 2018, 2019, they cast the leads for the children. They cast the, the actors for the children roles. Mm-hmm. And they shot all of that in 2018, 2019. All of it mm-hmm. for two and three. And then two gets announced as a called Avatar Way of Water. And then what happened was that the pandemic hit. So every, even though all the, all the footage was shot, the post-production pipeline got really, really slow, right? Mm-hmm. Really, really slow. And the, James Cameron basically had to push the release date on all the movies two years back because mm-hmm. they were just going at a half a pace, yeah. right? And uh, ironically enough, it was the pandemic that convinced him to basically become live and become a New Zealand resident. Mm-hmm. He He's convinced that... New Zealand handled the pandemic the west the best way possible. Um, that's a bit of a controversial statement for some, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, he's decided. Actually, you know what? I I'm not going to be shooting in in L.A. anymore. Everything's going to be done in Wellington, New Zealand, with the help of Weta Digital. Uh, so yeah, um, they did some pickup shots, I believe, in late 2020, like when things were able to be done. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is interesting. So, uh, apparently, what the, this came out today that during when he was shooting Avatar three and four or two and two and three, two and three, yeah, two and three, he ba- so so all the young leads. One of them is a human being. It's a yeah. Jack Champion playing um, Spider. He basically shot all the spider scenes in uh, in uh, in two, three, four, and five, all of them. So he doesn't have what they call the Stranger Things situation, where when they start, if they do end up shooting for for four and five, Spider will already be done. That actor will already be done. Yeah, he like because he's obviously these kids are going to grow up. But the, mm-hmm. the ones who are in mocap, you know, they can just keep the same age. Yeah. They, yeah. They'll still look the same. And, and he also had all the kids record all their lines mm-hmm. just in case, you know, they're going to need to do some 
uh, post-production audio work because they're gonna they're obviously gonna sound deeper. Yeah, and look, credit to his planning. But I have a, here's my thing. So, what's your question? <laughs> so, so the 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 thing I'm going at is, do you think, do you think all this shit James Cameron did, do 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 you think it will ultimately be worth it? Because okay, so from. <sighs> That's a hard question. Realistic, That's a hard answer. Realistically, from 2012 until now, 10 years, mm-hmm. 10 years of either writing, shooting underwater, I don't know, shooting however they were shooting for the third one, mm-hmm. and and then all this nightmare of post-production because of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Do you think all that shit is, is going to be worth it ultimately? Like, like let's not even, let's not even, let, let's, let's assume mm-hmm. that, that... Best case scenario, uh, he can shoot four and five. Mm-hmm. So add another, I would assume, three or four years to this. Five years. Add five. Another five. Fifteen. Years. Fifteen. Fifteen Jesus. years. Do you think ultimately this would have been worth it? Here's, okay. Here's my thing. So he... James Cameron is building his franchise. But the thing is, it's quite possibly one of the most unoriginal franchises out there. Now, it has one very interesting idea. One. And that's it. And then the rest of it, as uh, I think... Uh, let, me, let, me, yeah. let, me, let me stop you right there. Yeah. Quality of the, of the movies... How do I say this? Don't let's not let's not talk about the story. Uh, okay, the, I know what the, you're saying. Yeah, let's not let's not let's not give a review. I think sure. J- just think think like is it worth it? Is it worth dedicating all this time to one one? Uh, I understand what you're asking. To, to one, one franchise. To one franchise. To that, I say I don't know yet, and here's why I don't know. You've He's doing what Marvel did, but all by himself. But all by himself. And well, well, him and John Landau, his producing partner. Sh- sure, sure, yes. Okay, he's doing this with one other guy. Okay, now, do you think what Marvel did was worth it? To that answer, I say I don't know either. Okay, because oh, you've oh, got some great movies, but you've also got a lot of stuff. Okay, that looks okay. The same. I, I will say this. Here's the thing, though. Kevin Feige wasn't directing every Marvel movie. And True. he wasn't right. He has. He doesn't have a writing credit or a directing credit on any Marvel movie. He's just the producer, right? Correct. And and listen, uh, the the Bracolis do the same thing with James Bond. They've only, only until recently. Do you know what was the only other movie the Broccoli's produced? Eon Eon Productions have produced besides James Bond. What? The 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 spy movie with Blake Lively, the Rhythm Section. Oh, okay. That's the only other thing they've produced that is in James Bond. So, so, so for them, it's worth it because they're just the producers, right? Sure. They, they don't. I mean, obviously, they give final say on the story, on the directing, hire, on the, the obviously casting James Bond. Same with Kevin Feige. He has. He pretty much has final say over who, over the writing decisions, over over who gets to direct the project, and the obviously casting, which is the most important for that franchise. 
but he's only doing that one thing, right? He's mm-hmm. he's literally a CEO. The Percolis are literally CEOs of Eon Productions. James Cameron, it's it's like he's the CEO and he's also like the VP. He's basically like every management position in in that company, right? Well, I think we've known that's the only way he can seem to make a movie is be entirely in control. That seems to be an aspect to the way he makes stuff. Okay, but there's there is one exception though. Hmm. Like so he was a rich. So people forget. Uh, originally, it was a toss up if he was going to direct the first Avatar or Battle Angel, because because yeah, yeah. it was the same thing. It was it was going to be this these movies where the the lead was going to be a, a digital character, right? Mm-hmm. And ba- basically, <laughs> this is actually really funny. Basically, what happened was that um, they were going to do they were going to do the tests. For Battle Angel and Avatar on the day, and John Landau said, "Choose one. Which one are mm-hmm. we going to do the test for?" And James Cameron pretty much. And, and there's an interview he does with Robert Rodriguez, I think, where where he talks mm-hmm. about this. He pretty much goes like, "Uh, uh, I, I think the guy would probably look better as the Navi versus the Battle Angel." And and he does Avatar, and at the end of that test, he goes to John Landau and says, "Like, okay, Avatar is going to be the one we're going to do moving forward." And this was like in the late '90s. Mm, right damn and and then the thing was was that okay once he's done with avatar he's going to immediately start on battle angel but he didn't no well yeah because then like avatar did so big and he basically goes you know what i really 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 just want to do avatar for the rest of my career and it wasn't until robert rodriguez goes to james cameron at a party and says like hey man remember we're gonna do battle angel i was so excited for that you know, I, I kind of wrote a script, if you want to look at it, and that convinced James Cameron to be like, you know what? You do Battle Angel. And that's what brought Robert Rodriguez back to, like, blockbuster filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Um, but but the, 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 thing I'm, the thing I'm going with this is that if James Cameron had just said, okay, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spearhead an Avatar franchise. Um, John Landau is going to be in charge of it, and I'm going to write the scripts with these writers and we're going to hire these filmmakers to do them. You know, I'm like, okay, that, that's not going to eat up your life, your life. And instead he goes like, no, I'm, I'm going to write and direct. I'm going to produce, I'm going to oversee the technology. And it's like, dude, you've spent 10 years of your life right now. And you like, if this movie does well, you're going to be spending another five. Mm-hmm. Is this really all you want to do? Like, like uh, I think what it is is he once this became the biggest grossing movie in the world period fully that not okay you and I will, will never know what that's like but that's got to change you as a person when you've made the, but, but but he was, he already made the biggest movie in the world it. with Titanic but to do it twice oh, holy that, shit yeah, yeah. he did it twice now He's done it twice. That's yeah. what's crazy. And if you account for inflation, Titan well no, Titanic is still like in the top five of most highest grossing. Yeah. I think if you account for inflation, the only thing that beats it is Wizard of Oz, I think. Um, maybe uh ben maybe Hur? Gone with the Wind. Got Ben Hur gone with the wind, uh and uh Wizard of Oz, if you account for inflation, they yeah. all take the top three spots. I don't know what order, but they all take the top three spots if you account for inflation. Yeah. Um but Titanic is in that top five still, which is crazy. But I think what happened is James Cameron realized that he could build 
he could do a Star Wars, basically. He could do a Marvel. He could do that. Because what he had created was massive and cultural, culturally changing at the time. If for a moment, everyone was talking about it. You know, it. it's ironic you bring up Star Wars because, like, George Lucas kind of went through that where he's like, you know what? Directing was a pain in the ass and writing is a pain in the ass. I'm just going to write the story and I'm just going to produce. And then for the prequels, he's like, actually, I'm going to do everything. Yeah. And, and literally, he burnt out so bad he sold his company to Disney. I know. You That's... know? And, and, oh. and, and, for, and for James Cameron to be like, Nah, th- this is it. This is all I want to do. I'm like, I'm like, first of all, first of all, how how do you not go crazy that your entire perf- like these are creatives, right? Like, what drives them is these stories they want to tell, and that like, see, you know this, I know this. Mm-hmm. Like, what creatives loathe to do is just kind of be in the same. S- in the same narrative space over and over and over. It drives them crazy. Oh, yeah. And James Cameron's like, oh, no, actually, I prefer that. And I'm like, how are you not going to go crazy? Well, because I think the reason why is he has decided to look at, and I think we'll get into this in our review, Avatar is his sandbox, okay? He kind of just does what, say what you will about the movie, this sequel was it had everything he likes, okay? That, that is true. That is so true. I, I think that's how he's managed to not go insane. And, and again, we'll get into how this affects the movie, but he's literally like, okay, what do I like? I love deep sea diving. I love water. I love ocean life. I love big messages in my movies. I <laughs> big love... environmentalist messages in his movies. For, for most of them. Not all, yeah. but for most of them. Um and he also loves the way the army works, okay? Yeah. And, he loves, and he loves technology and he loves aliens, okay? So literally, he's made, a, he's made two movies so far in this franchise that are just pounds upon pounds of what he loves. So is this all worth it? You know what? For him, it might be. All right, but all right. Let me, for let me everyone ask you, else, let me ask we'll find you this. Out. Do you think he's this obsessive over Avatar, over the world of Pandora, because he lost, he lost ownership of one of the most iconic sci-fi franchises of all time? He Terminator? lost ownership. Well, he lost ownership over two of the most iconic sci-fi franchises of all time in certain ways. I mean, I mean, I mean Alien was never his. That was always true. But he, no, that was he always tr- Dan O'Brien's. But he famously. James Cameron tried to make Alien his. Like, he tried to acquire the full rights of it, and no one would let him. Oh, well, and he was bitter I mean, about that for a while. I can see that. But, like, because here's the thing. Terminator, like, when you think about it, that that sandbox is ripe for, like, development. Well, see, here's the thing, though. He is responsible for the first two, right? Yeah. And then what happens with the third? Well, well what happened was, was that he... Uh, he cheated on Linda Hamilton with a supermodel and during their divorce, she got the rights to Terminator. So what I'm saying is that, that all that happens. And again, let's not get into the, yes, that did happen. But personal life aside, what he witnessed was a franchise he loved. And again, I'm not saying what he did. The first franchise he ever birthed be destroyed. 
Yeah. Truly destroyed. Again, not cond- you know maybe you know what? That's karma for you. You cheat on your wife, you get to watch your creative baby be fucking ruined. Yeah, okay? no, because because that's fo- karma justice, folks. If 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 your if your if your memory isn't as sharp as it should have been, um, famously the ending of Terminator Two is that they stopped Judgment Day. That they mm-hmm. stuffed it. It ended on a very hopeful note. And then Terminator 3 shits on that completely. <laughs> but Ter- Terminator 3 shits on that completely with a goddamn smile on its face. Yeah, they're they're like... Eh. It was always meant to happen. Boom. Boom. Right? And you're like, what? You're like, oh, fuck you, movie. I, and, here's the, and here's the sad part, though. It's still probably... And this is not saying much. This is not high praise. It's still probably the best of the... Of the of the four films that followed uh, 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 Terminator mm. Two, it ties with the uh, the 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 prequel one that came after, for very different reasons. Okay, so so it ties with um, Salvation. Yeah, yeah. Ironically, Salvation could have been saved if it just had a better director and a producer who's like, actually, this last story beat's kind of stupid. Salvation could have been saved with the idea that they're like, guys, we've made this look like fucking uh, Mad Max when it shouldn't. What the fuck? It's like, but that's a whole other. Yeah, that, that, thing. that's a whole other thing. So, 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 I yeah, I do think though that losing the Terminator franchise is why James Cameron's like, this is all I want to do. This is all I want to be in, yeah. and I I don't think it's worth it just because, like, I mean, he he might deny it for the rest of his life but i i can't i can't imagine how he won't get burnout you know like like i well I, he's already written it well well yeah he's already written them he spent five years writing this shit yeah uh, and i i mean that because i just say shit a lot i'm not calling the movie shit uh i just you know it's one of those things where i'm like i would not be surprised if because famously james cameron can be a bit of a hothead during production Oh, famously, he has a goddamn bodyguard around him. Yeah. During, I don't know if that's true anymore, but it was for a while. For for the record, guys, and we're not going to talk too much about it, but The Abyss famously was a nightmare movie to work I mean, on. I mean, the last Avatar movie, he nailed. If your cell phone rang during during a sh- a shoot, he would get your cell phone and nail gun it to the exit door. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, During um, Titanic, uh, some, something really bad happened on the set of no, Titanic. No, here's what happened remember. on the set of Titanic. A crew member pretty much gave food poisoning to everyone on, on the set because James Cameron was – literally, James Cameron was such a tyrant on the set of Titanic – that Kate Winslet needed therapy afterwards. And mm. lo and behold, she still works with the guy in Way of Water. Uh, um, yeah, that, that, oh God. But, but anyway, long, long story short is that I, I can't imagine if, if this, if it ends up that he does go into production on, on four and five, I, I can't imagine how there won't be a situation where he goes like, fuck Pandora, and he just quits. I, I, I really, listen, if, if he wants to turn. It makes sense to make Avatar into a franchise. That makes sense. You don't become the highest grossing no. movie of all time. And, and not do a franchise. And not do it. a franchise. That's just, that's bad business sense. Yeah. But it, the, a normal, because a normal filmmaker, a normal mogul like James Cameron would be like, you know what? I gave, I gave Battle Angel to Robert Rodriguez, and that was probably one of the best blockbusters of 2019. I can give these four movies to filmmaker, young filmmakers that I trust. 
that I trust, you know, any any protégés I might have. Hell, hell, if he wants to be, he can be co-director if he needs to be. Yeah. Like, if he's that attached, he's like, no, I still am the guiding hand, but I do the big picture guiding yeah, stuff. Yeah, he's, he's his own Kevin Feige. He could have done that. Like, like listen, on one hand, I really appreciate it when a filmmaker, like, like come when a director comes back to a franchise and like finishes out, you have Peter Jackson with Lord of the Rings. Although, you sure. know, you know, the, the Hobbit. Let's a, not do that. Okay. Let's, but Christopher know. Nolan with the Dark Knight trilogy. Yes. Right. Yes. Christopher Nolan with the Dark Knight trilogy, James Gunn with Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, yeah. You, uh, who else? Um, I'm, I'm, you know, these filmmakers who, these filmmakers. The Wachowskis with. Uh, the Matrix. The Matrix. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right? Yeah. No, you appreciate that. But then, you know, there are times where you're like, oh, a filmmaker can step back and hand over the reins to someone else. I mean, yeah. look look what, uh, look, obviously, look what uh, Steven Spielberg did with James Mangold with Indiana Jones. Now, oh, the, la- was, the, 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 the dial of destiny, like, who knows if it's any good, but. We'll find out. We'll find out. But look, I mean, Steven Spielberg, he's like, I'm at that age where. The movies I want to tell, you know, maybe it's not necessarily going back to the well for Indiana Jones. And I respect that. It might not be any good, but the fact that he's like, you know what? I'm done with Indiana Jones. Let me give this to a younger filmmaker who might, who can have his own spin on it. You know, mm-hmm. stuff like that. I, let, I me think- sh- let me shut Harrison Ford up. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, uh, so you think it's worth it for him. I don't think it's worth it. How about we watch the trailer and then get into this review proper? What do you say? Well, let's do it. All right.
So, Avatar: <laughs> The Way of Water. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Let me let me see before I ask for your general thoughts yeah. first. I I do want to say that. So, I mean, this is common for sequels, but. I think definitely more so with this. The cast list just grows. Like, it, it, oh, like, yeah. like in in sequels, you have new, you're always introducing new characters, right? But this is almost kind of like a new a new season of TV where you're just there. All these new cast members, right? So I think before we uh, we we go into our review proper, so the way of water introduces us to Jake and Natiri's children. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have their biological children. Um, Nityam played by Jamie Flatters. He's the he's the oldest. Mm-hmm. Then we have Loak played by Britton Dalton. He's the he's the middle child and possibly the 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 new lead. Or he, he's like he's like he's like the 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 lead of the children characters, right? Yeah. And then you have uh, Tuck played by Trinity Jolie Bliss, right? She's the she's the youngest one. She's the only daughter, only biological daughter, mm-hmm. and uh, you know she's she's the baby of the family. Then we have uh, this is gonna be weird. <laughs> yeah. So Sigourney Weaver returns, but she's not she's not playing uh, Grace. She returns as Kiri. She's this Navi that was somehow uh, conceived inside Grace's avatar. And Grace's avatar birthed her. Right? And Sigourney Weaver plays Kiri. And Kiri is a around the, is like a teenage Navi. And, and yeah, they have Sigourney Weaver playing a teenage Navi. And yeah. then he... They, like... So the movie explicitly calls him kind of like a tagalog. They don't they don't consider him like an adopted son or anything. But mm-hmm. then we have Jack Champion who plays this human boy named Spider who he was he was left behind uh when the humans left Pandora, he was left behind for reasons that we can't really get into. Mm-hmm. Um and he pretty much is one of those He's a human who like really wishes he was Navi. Like he acts like a mm-hmm. Navi. He speaks their language perfectly. He puts he, blue like this sort of blue war paint on his body. Yeah, and uh, no, it's 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 quite a quite a thing. All right, mm-hmm. okay. So these these are Jake uh, Jake and Natiri's family. This is Jake and Natiri's family, right? Uh, so then we were introduced to this this new tribe of Navi. They're they're sea navi. They're marine navi. They have like different different looking. They have like kind of. We saw them for a second in the first movie. Yeah, they they pretty much you know they 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 have like these aquatic uh, physical attributes. Like the tail like is bigger and helps them swim. They have like wider forearms to help them swim. Uh, the chief of this navi tribe is Tonawari, played by the amazing character actor Cliff Curtis. For those that don't know. He's this uh, Maori New Zealander act character actor who you either hire him to play like a Mexican gangbanger in Training Day, or you hire <laughs> you hire him to play you hire him to play uh, the Rock's older brother in Hobbs and Shaw. Mm-hmm. Amazing actor, really really good. Uh, yeah. He shared the screen with Tamara Morrison in um, oh what was that movie uh, from New Zealand? Uh, uh, 
Uh, the the one that also made Tamara more saying once we're warriors. Okay. Give it a watch. It's really good. And I then hope. we have returning James Cameron collaborator Kate Winslet <sighs> playing uh, Tonawari's wife Ronal, and she plays the the kind of similar to the Forest Navi tribe as the wife of the tribe chief. She's like their their shaman, like mm-hmm. like their spiritual leader. And she happens to also be pregnant and she can yeah. still kick ass while being pregnant. And then uh, they have their children. Uh, Bailey Bass plays to Syria. She, he, she plays their oldest daughter. Uh, she is potentially a love interest to, uh, to a Loak, Loak. Right. Yeah. And then we have uh, Philip Galejo playing Anungung. Anunung. I, I don't know how to pronounce that. He's, he's a, uh, he's a uh, Tonari and Ronald's oldest son. And he's a bit of a jackass. Yeah. <laughs> and then we have Dwayne Evans Jr. playing Rotsko, who plays their youngest son. And he's also a bit of a jackass. Yeah. On the human side, besides Spider, we have uh, Edie Falco playing General Ardmore. Uh, she plays the, the, the new commanding officer of the invading human alien sky people yeah. uh, colonizers. And Stephen Lang returns as Quaritch, uh, but he returns in a very, very different way. Yes. Um, so, yeah, these are these. So, yeah, this this cast list is pretty, pretty big. Uh, it's massive. Yeah, uh, I think so. Oh, and you have the guy from uh, uh, Flight of the Concords. Oh, yeah. As well. uh, Jermaine Clement plays like a human doctor, or like a human marine, uh, bio- marine, marine biologist. Yeah. Uh, he yeah. kind of he kind of plays the role that Sigourney Weaver played with Grace, like you know this scientist is working with this evil corporation because they're just so fascinated by Pandora, mm-hmm. um, but he doesn't really appear until like midway through the film. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so we apologize like if sometimes we don't get these actors' names right or if yeah. we or if we forget like I I think I think we'll we'll be fine with Loak like like Loak yeah. is easy to pronounce but Netiyam. Uh, Loak and Tuck is fine, but Neyam, Cecilia, uh, uh, Anongong. I might genuinely refer them by the oldest son or not, or this. Yeah, or yeah, or yeah. So. Sigourney Weaver's character. I might Kiri, just Kiri's easy that. to pronounce. Kiri. Kiri. Yeah. Kiri, yeah. Okay. So, all right. So. See, your opening thoughts on this film. So, what a ride. Literally. This. So, a while back maybe a couple years ago, Martin Scorsese was asked on his thoughts of, of the Marvel films. And I didn't 100% agree with what he said. I understand why he said it and I am not mad at why he said it. But one thing he said was it was a, it's like a ride to me, you know, it's, it's exciting. It's exhilarating. It's fun, but it's a ride. It's It's a different experience. This movie was a ride. Literally. It was a visual roller coaster. Um, not in like that the story had up. Well, not like that the story spun you around for a loop or anything like that. But that it was just visually exhilarating, visually beautiful, visually exhilarating, and really felt like you were at a Universal Studios ride fully. Um, so that's really my opening thought there. Now, I will say. Well, okay. I, I'm, we're not going to spoil anything because the movie's still out and all that. But I think what really 
was the thing that it kept coming back in my head was this movie does brings up interesting ideas or interesting things and then genuinely does not do a lot with them. It's like, oh, here's an interesting character with an interesting backstory or here's this interesting character doing this potentially interesting thing. And then it just sort of is like, yeah, and just accept it. It's fine. Don't worry about it. And I'm like, that... <sighs> it's like, you, you could go an interesting route with it, but instead it was just like, I felt like there was this need to appeal to as wide an audience as possible that just kept muddying what could have been some interesting ideas mm. at times. Mm -hmm. All right. I totally agree with you, C. I, in fact, I'll, I'll go further and say, I think The Way of Water has accentuates all the positives the first movie had, all the positive things people had to say about the first Avatar, this movie builds on that. It, it really does. Like, it being the, a ride of a lifetime, it really does build on that. Um, it, it, the visuals blowing you away, really getting immersed into this world. It, 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 it builds upon that in a great, great way. But you know all the criticisms people had towards the towards the first Avatar? Yeah. Those are still here and maybe are even more distracting. They're, yeah, they're more pronounced. They're more pronounced, yeah. And I I listen, I when I when I saw the first Avatar, right? Let me let me I, I should have told this at the beginning of the review, but when I when I saw the first Avatar, I literally waited until midnight until I could get the tickets on Fandango. And I got the best seat I could get at the biggest screen at the theater close, at the theater I could I could reasonably go to, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I, I, I went there, sat down, put on the glasses, and was just, like, you, you have to remember that we while we did have photorealistic, CG, a level of CGI that was photorealistic at the time, it mm -hmm. was never... It was never that like, oh my god, like all these photorealistic CGI characters, like it's it's incredible. Like like it kept dawning like it, I kept getting blown away that I'm like, none of this is real. Mm -hmm. Like like not even the ground they're walking on is real. It's all digitally rendered. Mm -hmm. And oh my god, it, it's crazy. So like I was blown away by the movie. And then you know, some years passed by and I never thought about it until someone talked about it with me while I was in college. They, they asked me did you ever see that movie again? I go like, no, I, I never did. Like, and, and I, uh, a friend who watched, uh, who watched, who watched this movie with me and C, like he, he and I were our good college buddies in college. He goes like, oh, well I have it on Blu-ray. You want to watch it? I was like, sure. And I watched it and I'm like, I'm like, wow. When I don't have the 3d to Marvel at, when the screen is smaller than the giant screen I saw it in, all I'm really focusing on is, first of all, that Sam Worthington is not a good actor <laughs> and that that poor Zoe Saldana is carrying the whole movie by herself. Yeah. And and that and, oh, cre and credit to Sam Worthington. He's better in this. Oh, oh, yeah. No, 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 no. I I'll get to that. But that <laughs> that the story I was like, I I've actually probably seen this story. 10 times before I saw this movie back in 2009. Holy shit. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I never saw the movie again outside of that second time until earlier this week when I needed to watch it just to be caught up over what was going, going on. Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, like, well, James Cameron did spend five years writing this with other mm-hmm. writers. I, I'm I'm thinking the dialogue issues are because the dialogue was the one where you're like, wow, this dialogue is just so stale and and like mm-hmm. like this dialogue was old in the early 2000s. <laughs> and, and, and listen, I justified it because James Cameron wrote this in the 90s. People forget yeah. that he the first draft of Avatar was written in the 90s as he was working on on uh, True Lies. That's right. Right. And I was God, like, that's uh, crazy. And I was like, okay, okay. So he wrote. He wrote that in the 90s. Now the dialogue is going to be better. And even with a co- even with a fucking writing staff, this writing is still like stilted. Stilted. It, <laughs> stilted, right? And mm-hmm. and then you're like, okay, well, you know, the Pocahontas, the Dances with Wolves story was still a relatively newish thing in the mid 90s. So we'll see where he goes here. Mm-hmm. And listen, <laughs> So ultimately, and, and this, this is kind of like my biggest critique, right? Is that, and maybe I'm biased because I I might know way too much about the production process of this movie than most laymen do. But when I think about this story, when I think about how this story was presented, all I could think, all my brain just kept coming back to like, he spent five years writing this. <laughs> he, him, and a team of writers spent five spent spent five years writing this. What? To, well, what, let's be let's be let's be fair. Five years writing, two through five. Sure, but what two amounts to? And I'm not going to give any spoilers. We're not going to go into spoilers here. Um, mm-hmm. But what two amounts to is that Jake and Atiri find out in a in a very bombastic way that Quaritch came back in a Navi body. Mm-hmm. They freak out and hide out with an with an with an ocean tribe. Mm-hmm. Colonel Quaritch still finds them. They have a big fight. And then Jake goes like, you know what? No, we gotta take the fight to them. That's all two amounts to. All, all two yeah. amounts to is it's setting the same conclusion as the first. Well, well, okay. The first ended with them going like, okay, we kicked them out. Great. Right. Mm-hmm. Why did the whole, all of two on a narrative level on the overarching narrative level is pretty much the equivalent of when a TV show spends an entire season setting up the main conflict of the TV show. Which a lot a lot of TV shows do now, and a lot of people hate that. Like Lord of the Rings did that. A lot of Amazon fantasy shows do this. A lot of Netflix ones do this too, where mm-hmm. the whole first season is just basically like a, a, a justification for setting up what would ostensibly be the big overarching narrative of the entire show, right? That's what this movie does, and I just go like, why? Like, like overall, why? Like. Like this, literally, you could have just had them when they meet up with Navi Quaritch and go like, "Oh shit, he's alive! Mm-hmm. F- fuck, we gotta take the fight to them for reals." Because th- when the movie, okay, so there's this whole prologue where the human beings come back six years later after they got kicked out. 
They create a gigant, almost a giant, like a city. C- yeah, a city. They create a city, and Jake and Natiri basically have their entire tribe, basically go all counterinsurgency on on their asses, right? Mm-hmm. And you're like, okay, so the wars, the war has started. Yeah. And the movie goes like, no, no, no. They freak out because they see Navi Quaritch. They hide. And at the end of the movie, they come to the same conclusion that they came to at the end of the prologue. Mm-hmm. See, at first I was like, okay, so yeah, you put it best. The movie opens after the prologue and says, the war is here. It's happening. And I'm like, okay, great. Let's watch. Let's watch, the, you know, the tribe fight against their colonizers for fucking real. Like, really go at it. Like, if that's what we get for three hours, great. I'm down with that. But we get one scene of that, and it's a good scene. Yeah, it's a great scene. And then as you put it, wait, he's back? We have to get the fuck out of here. Why? Why? You whooped their ass that time. But it, and, and they, they justify it by saying, like, oh, he's, he's going to hurt our kids. Because they meet up because he, like, finds, the, finds their kids. Quaritch finds uh, the Sully kids and, mm-hmm. like, like holds them hostage. But the the thing is, is that like, okay, but you still come to the same conclusion you came to at the end of the prologue. What the fuck were we doing? And, and see, you know what I realized? And the biggest critique I have towards this film. Mm-hmm. And if, if, the, if this, if this habit continues with James Cameron, it's going to be my biggest critique of the entire franchise mm-hmm. is that, it, it it appears that the entire purpose of this film for James Cameron was not to tell the story of the Navi going to war with the humans who have returned. And it's going to be no. an ugly war. The entire yeah. purpose of The Way of Water is for James Cameron to show us, look how pretty Pandora Ocean is underwater. Yeah. No, that was 100% his purpose. Like, like... That's and, what he wanted to do. And here's the thing. If if every fucking Avatar movie is going to be this thing where, like, the first... Look at this part of Pandora. Yeah, where, where the entire second act and part of the third is just, look at this pretty area of Pandora with, with our Navi characters. I, I, I'm, I'm sorry, but, you know... If if I want to listen, if I want to just have the Pandora experience, I'll go to fucking Walt Disney World in Orlando, Florida. Mm-hmm. Right? If I'm watching this movie, I want a compelling story that you you argue is worth sitting down in the theater four more times to watch and engage with. Right? For twelve more hours. Oh if fuck! It's, yeah. If they're think about it, if they're all three hours, which I'm guessing that's going to be the case. Do you? Well, actually, okay. Okay, so hold on. Okay, real quick. Since you talked about your biggest gripe with the movie, my biggest gripe with the movie is that all the characters go through the same emotional arc twice in the same movie. Yeah. It it happens to all of them. They have an emotional arc at about like a quarter-ish way through the movie, maybe a third, give or take. And then they go through it again and they learn the same goddamn lesson. It's like... Wait a minute. And then you're even madder because it's like this happened in the first one already. Well, you're more mad at the you're more mad at Jake and and uh, and 
his wife. You're Nat- less mad at the Natiri. kids. Natiri. You're more mad at Jake and Natiri because it's like y'all went through this in the first movie. Like okay, okay. okay. So so the movie so the movie decides to do this. So okay, um, l- l- let me let me explain to our listeners what what you mean by that. So, mm-hmm. uh, we I'm not gonna go into specifics, but uh, Colonel Quartz comes back in a Navi body, and he the first thing he's able to do is that he holds the Sully kids hostage. And when Jake and Natiri realize he's alive and is now a Navi like them, they freak out and they're convinced that, oh, he's going to kill our entire family if we stay with the forest tribe. So they take refuge with an ocean tribe, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, led by Cliff Curtis and Kate Winslet. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the, the the ocean tribe basically tells both, both – uh, both Jake and Natiri almost word for word when Natiri told Jake in the first one that you guys are like children. You're going to be need to taught all our ways. And the movie, like the movie tries to be clever, like see what we're doing by, by holding a lingering shot in Natiri where she's like, Oh shit. So that's how that feels like. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, here's the thing. First of all, it, first of all, movie that doesn't justify that you're having us go through the same shit again. For an hour and a half, but then you don't even you don't even continue that little joke because we never see and this is a tiny complaint but still a complaint we never see Natiri learn the ocean navi ways. No, she doesn't fucking she, bother. She she doesn't she doesn't like learn how to ride one of those seahorses or seahorse dolphin things or the barracuda that flies thing that the warriors use. Mm-hmm. No, no, she literally goes like, oh shit, I guess that's what that feels like, and then. We see it. We actually, it's almost all, all the kids, all the Sully kids. We see like learn the way of water. And then we get like one scene where Jake learns how to ride a flying barracuda and that's it. Yeah. Right. And, and, and the thing, the thing to build on what you said, see, is that like every narrative beat we mm-hmm. saw in the first avatar is repeated here again. Twice. Twice. In this movie. And it's, it is, exa- there's a moment where it's exhausting. Because, okay, you, you guys know how in the first one, like, the big, the big moment where Jake really, really fell in love with Pandora is when he learns how to fly with the, with the dragon things, with the, mm-hmm. with the, with like the raptor lizard dragon things that the, the, the Navi used to fly, right? Mm-hmm. That's repeated here with whales, like, like the, the, the point of view, like the kind of the lead character of the Sully kids, Loak, he, he finds himself a whale and literally the entire second act is just him hanging out with this whale. And then yeah. there's kind of this, this narrative conflict that the, the ocean Navi consider that whale to be a rogue, uh, which that I could not get my head around that plot point. Okay. It's yeah. like, why do you give a shit? Like, like they go like, that. Oh, they go, like, Oh, you can't hang out with that whale. That whale is evil. That whale did something really bad. You know what it is? That is, that's an episode in the avatar TV. show. Yes. That's exactly what like, I thought. That's what that is. So, it's like, so, so the, so the, the, the thing with the whales here, and I know this, is, this is really weird. So, uh, the ocean, so it seems like every tribe of Navi, like, they have, they like... They bond with some sort of animal. They bond with some sort of animal that's natural to the habitat they live in, right? For mm-hmm. the forest Navi, it's those flying lizard things. 
For the prairie navi, it's the horses. For the ocean navi, it appears to be whales. They don't necessarily ride the whales. They just seem to form a bond with them, and they call them like their soul brother or their soul sister, right? Yeah, which I, if I heard them say, she was my soul sister one more time, I was going to shoot my head off. So so the, the weird thing about it is that so the movie goes out of its way to explain that the that the that the whales, the Pandora whales, are actually the space whales are actually like more sentient than us, more sentient than Navi and humans. Like, like they they have more emotional intelligence than humans or Navi. They they they're basically like they're basically like a higher life form almost, except they're mm. they're whales, right? Yeah. So they go out of their way to do that, and they they go like because they're higher life forms, they have they have a utopian like outlook where it's like never never commit violence against anything else, mm-hmm. right? Which you're like oh, okay, I guess higher life form whatever, but if you even try to defend yourself, those whales will be like oh you're a psychopath, get away from you us. You committed violence by get, get away. Yourself. They're basically like obnoxiously obnoxiously uh, pacifistic. And this out, this particular outcast whale pretty much was like defending itself, and the other whales were like, "No, you're crazy. Stay away from us." So all the Navi like treated as like this dangerous rogue elephant type deal, and Loak, Loak, who also considers himself an outcast because he has Jake's four fingers and eyebrows, right? He, what you mean five fingers? Well, four, oh, no, fi- right, four, four fingers four. and, and a thumb, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he has eyebrows. A f- funny thing, see, I don't, I, I, I mean, we're, we're, that's a whole separate episode, but yeah, only Loak and Kiri have four fingers and a thumb. Uh, uh, Tuck and Nitiam had three fingers and a thumb, but they that's all, true. but they all have eyebrows. So yeah, that, that's an interesting. That, that makes them more humanoid. Yeah, so that's an interesting thing. But anyway, uh, yeah, so this this is an entire subplot. Where Loak tries to convince his family and the ocean tribe that that particular this is a good whale. This is a good whale, and and then all we see is him hanging out with the whale. We see these beautiful shots of him swimming with the whale in the ocean, and this makes up like a good thirty minutes of the movie. Yeah. And I just kept thinking to myself, like, yeah, this was pretty the first five minutes. Why did we literally stop the main narrative of the movie to focus on this? Why? Yeah. Why? Like, like literally, we don't see Colonel Quaritch at all. We don't see any of the they humans. They cut to him once. They cut to him once. We don't see anything with the with the humans at all. It's just, it's just Loak and the whale, and Loak telling the ocean tribe and his love interest that no, you guys just don't understand this whale, and man. There's always a mo. There were three moments where like the kids get into some trouble and then jake's character has to be has to be like i've told you one thing i have one rule it's like no you've told it to them three times now to be good behave and they and i get they're trying to like that's how they're bonding with the other kids i get it but it's just like it was the same thing right like okay so if if this movie was like okay we're we're having them run away from courage and the whole movie was them, them freaking out that Quaritch was going to find them and Quaritch finds them and then the, the, the climax of that, fine, great. No, the movie, literally once the second act is like is like a quarter through, the movie just stops that narrative thing, pauses it, and it's just about like learning how to be like the ocean, Navi, learning how to hold your breath, learning how to hunt the fish, 
learning how to learning the way of water. And the thing I just kept wondering is like, this is the overarching plot. The, the, the reason why these movies are being made just got paused. And now we're just seeing, and then it hit me. It's like, no, no, no. The, this overarching plot is just a thin excuse to, to kind of, to kind of explore Pandora. The purpose of yep. this movie is, is to just see how pretty Pandora is. I think that's yeah. James Cameron's intention. He just wants us to see how pretty he wants us to go. Isn't it pretty how the, this digital world looks in 3D and occasionally in a high frame rate? Yeah. And 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 the thing I, and the thing I, I have to say is that like, well, yes, James Cameron, this is very pretty. It this does. is this is some of the. There are shots that are downright beautiful. Let's it's, be clear. It is eye drop. Like mouth, your mouth opens. It's eye opening how how gorgeous like this world is like see there were times where i was like i can't believe the only thing that's real here is the water yeah it's just the water there's a scene there's a shot there are two there are well there are a few amazing shots but there's one where you see two of the navi walking together in this sunset on one of the islands and for a moment, you're like, oh, those are just real. Like, I wonder where they cast those Navi actors. It's like, that's how real it looks yeah. for a second. And there's also another scene with a Navi child swimming in the ocean. And you look at it and you're like, Jesus Christ, that looks like you would come across that in the wild. Like, like it's crazy. Like, like literally their skin is shining because it's wet because they're getting hit by water. But it doesn't look plasticky. It like literally... It rolls off skin the way water does roll onto skin. It, it, it's a it's mind crazy. fuck. It, it is yeah. a mind fuck because there, there's one particular shot where you see Jake like wrapping his hand with leather to not fall off this flying barracuda thing. Mm-hmm. And all that I kept thinking about was like, none of that's real. That's not like a no one painted their hand blue and wrapped it in leather for an insert shot. That's a that's a totally digitalized shot. And it fucks with your brain. It really does. It does. Like, cause you're like, <laughs> this is kind of funny. Like my brain sent me a signal that pretty much amounted to like, wow, that makeup on Kate Winslet looks really good. And then you like remind yourself. Like you're like, oh no, that's not like, that's Kate Winslet. She's providing the motion and the, um, and like the facial the expression voice. and the voice, but holy shit, that that's a mind fuck. And, and let me tell you, if if your entire point of watching these movies is to have that experience of being like, fuck Pandora. And you just don't want to pay the, vac- the, the, the expense of going to Orlando by all means. But, and I think C would agree with me. Sometimes you want an engaging story, right? You want something yeah. that justifies you sitting down for three hours and ten minutes. We're not asking for Shakespeare. No, we're not. we're not. We're not. No. Listen, if the Lion King can do it, so can this. But the, I think what it is, okay. Okay, here's a good way to put it. You've got Battle Angel and you've got Way of the Water, okay? Both movies are seeped in crazy amounts of CGI that look rather impressive. Okay, but and look, Battle Angel, in my view, is not perfect. I won't get into that. But Battle Angel, at least, and I understand it's based on a previous work, was an original, unique story. 
Like you were engaged with what was happening with the lead because you couldn't fully guess what was going to happen. That's not too much to ask for. Like, that's what most movies do, to an extent. No twists, no turns, just like, oh, what's going to happen next? But in Avatar Way of the Water, you're watching this, and you're like, as I've said, oh, this already happened. Or you're watching this, and you're like, this is pretty, but man, my ass hurts because it's been two hours and 40 minutes. Like, I'm sorry. It but at the same time, I am conflicted because I'm watching this and there are moments where I'm like, fuck me, this is beautiful. Like, fuck me. No, me, me too. There are, I, I'm, I'm conflicted because I go like, fuck, this is beautiful. And, and this is the frustrating part. Like, especially with, the, with, the, with these new cast members, the children, right? Yeah. There, there are story, there are beats, there are moments in the movie where they really shine as like, as like, like unique characters, right? They do mm-hmm. these, they do, they do these fully realized things and, and, you know, you, you can't help, but kind of, kind of, kind of like go with it. You're, you're like, like you have fun, you have fun with them. Like for instance, um, that is one thing I'll add, like the one. So you, you said earlier how this movie doubles down on both the, the strengths and the flaws of the first one. Yeah. There is one exception, and I kind of mentioned it a little bit, but I do need to mention now. Mm-hmm. Overall, the acting is better. Oh, this yeah. Movie. Yeah. Yeah. The acting takes such a massive level up because yeah. Sam Worthington now has, uh, what, uh, 10, 11, 12. He, he's had 10 ish years of experience as an actor. And. So, so, so his acting skills got better, but his character isn't just vanilla soldier guy number one. Now his, his act, his, his role is you're a, you're a tough as nails military dad with a hard, uh, with a soft center. Right. Mm-hmm. And listen, just that simple change in character. It's like made a world of difference. Made a world. Of, so Jake Sully. So for anyone who's ever had a hard ass dad, or, or, or especially anyone who's had a dad who's in the armed forces, you're going to see Jake Sully and you're going to be like, oh, I'm having flashbacks to my childhood. <laughs> I, I, both, I both am in awe of this and also I probably need another session of therapy. <laughs> no, hey, hey, here's the thing. Like, listen, the biggest criticism everyone had over Jake Sully was that he was bland AF. Basically... He was considered the blandest character in a major film until Ray came along, basically. Yeah. And then, uh, then you know, here it's like, okay, I'm a dad. I'm a dad who wants to protect his kids, but I'm also a military man. So that seeps through because there, mo- there are these little moments that, that Sam Worthington does with Jake Sully where it really, really adds layers to the character. For instance, when he's mad at his kids, he goes like, stand at attention and you know, he scolds them and he goes, all right, you're dismissed. And the kids go like, yes, sir. (laughs) They look up straight. I go like, yes, sir. And that little bit, the fact that he says dismissed to his, Mm -hmm. to his own children. Yeah. Like you just, that just adds like a layer to Jake Sully. You're like, okay, Jake Sully is like, the only way he knows how to be a dad is by kind of being a drill sergeant. And that is actually one, one thing I'll add. So in relation to the family, 
which really does thank god that does work in this movie like you buy them being a family you believe yes it. yes like, i will give credit where credit's due you do believe that um what helps and i actually liked this choice and it was interesting they basically decided okay the navi have their own social way of acting and that's fine they act like they other navi i legit liked that Jake Sully's kids acted like human teenagers. Yeah. Like genuinely. And that was, that was very like you're, and it granted some of the lines were still a little stilted, but at least it was like, Oh, you're acting like a teenage boy. You're acting like a teenage girl. And I believe it. Yeah. It, it, so like it adds, it's, it adds a subtle layer of, of dimension to this world. James Cameron created that there's a subtlety that, the Sully kids don't act like traditional Navi. Like, like there's this one moment that everyone got a laugh at. And I thought it was such clever world building on James Cameron's part is that the Sully kids like know the concept of a punch, Mm -hmm. right? They know the concept of a punch, but other Navi Navi don't punch each other, right? They don't know what that is. So there's a moment where Loak punches somebody and it's such a clever bit of world building where you're like, oh, that makes sense. Jake would teach his children how to fight like Marines, and that involves punching, right? Yeah. Like literally, when it happened, one of the the one that got punched was confused. For it was a like, well, what's he doing with his hand? That that's really clever world building. Yeah. Like, and, and this is kind of the frustrating thing I have. This is another conflicting thing I have, which we which we'll talk about later, is that. As James Cameron is great at doing, the world building is quite, quite good and very realized. So, so now that we've covered a bit of Jake, um, yeah. Zoe Saldana, she's she, again, she's doing great work as Neytiri. Um, yeah. Doesn't have a lot to, because again, the movie basically stops that story to be like, look at the way of water. And as I talked about earlier, Neytiri doesn't do anything learning the way of water. She just disappears, kind of. Does not bother. Does not bother, right? So we don't really... So there's a big chunk of the movie where she just kind of disappears. The movie mm-hmm. makes up for that, that she has a giant part in the third act climax, mm-hmm. right? And, and Zoe... Yeah. Zoe Saldana's putting in some career best work in that third act climax. Oh, like, no, she, she knows when to... Listen, Zoe Saldana's a fantastic actress, and she knew, okay, this is my moment to show the fuck up. No, she showed the fuck up. There's, there's a fight scene she has. That is probably the closest James Cameron has come to horror since Aliens. There's literally a, a character looking at Neytiri going like, what the fuck? <laughs> and it is so well done. And then there's just this lingering close up on Neytiri's like wild feral face. Her eyes are like, her eyes are like kind of like wide and dead, like a shark's eyes. Well, she also <sighs> is the only actor that plays, uh, you know, the Navi that brings out the feline element to it the best. Yes. Yes. And it's, it's weird to say that, but like all the others, when they fight, you know, they do their thing, but she genuinely is like, no, I am like this feline predatory animal and I'm going to fuck shit up. Yeah. And it like, again, very, very impressive work. I just, again, I just wish she didn't disappear during that whole way of water segment of the movie. Right. She just she only pops up when Jake Sully is going to chastise his kid, their kids for. And she's know. like, stop it. Yeah. <laughs> That's all she does. Yeah. It's like, OK. Yeah. All right. So the kids. 
<laughs> and I want to start with Sigourney Weaver as Kiri. Okay. Now, let's let's discuss the elephant in the room. Mm-hmm. It is really, really weird that we have Sigourney Weaver playing a teenager and she's she's a very prominent character in the movie right mm-hmm. it's just it's just weird because uh, it, it just like listen it's it's already it's already weird that we have we have a movie where all the female navi are these very beautiful blue alien things that james cameron has admitted makes you want to fuck them right he like that was his express intent with this design was that he wanted to create an alien that made you go like yeah i get why jake wants to hit that Mm -hmm. right so we have sigourney weaver playing a a teenage navi right well she's can i well okay well let me just say one other thing and this is i am very okay with this obviously but the children are probably the least sexualized looking Navi out there. Uh, like, let's be real here. To Syria, uh, the, 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 the teenage Navi from the ocean tribe. Like I meant her- Jake's kids. Oh, Jake's kids. Yeah. Jake's kids. Yeah. yeah. Jake's kids. Yeah. We can get into the ocean tribe one who was meant as a clear love interest. Fine. Sure. I get it. But she, she looked like she, a fish with, but, she looked like a fish with tits. I but but she walks out of that water and you're like, I, I just go like, really James Cameron? Well, it's like, well, he saw that Rihanna video. It's like, I was, I was, I was like, I've seen this scene before in, in like Victoria's secret model photo shoot videos, but okay. Yep. So, so it, it's just, it's just weird because so Kiri, Kiri interacts with with her with her siblings, with her adopted siblings, and she has a very close relationship with the human boy Spider. She's always like, "Where's Spider? I'm worried about Spider." Blah blah blah. This and that. And when you know when you know it's Sigourney Weaver, right? It's weird. It's yeah. weird because he's like, a teenager. Well, well, here's the thing: all the other teenage cast, you know that behind that blue face is a young human actor or actress, right? That's around the same age, mm-hmm. right? But because Kiri looks like teenage Sigourney Weaver, if you know that's Sigourney Weaver, like if you, and I don't know who going into this movie won't know that that's Sigourney Weaver, mm-hmm. you just kind of go like, like she's flirting with this human boy and that's a 70-year-old woman. woman. Mm-hmm. Like I, 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 I have... I have theories that I won't get into as to why I think James Cameron went this route by having Sigourney Weaver play Kiri. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I feel like going into those theories would be getting into spoilers. Yeah. But I, I I have to say that it's weird, but, but of course it is, but the credit to Sigourney Weaver's acting prowess that after 20 ish minutes of that, you really, really buy into this 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 the youthful the youthful energy and passion of kiri like mm-hmm. like eventually you will stop thinking that's a 70 year old woman playing a teenager and going like this is a teenage girl who has you know teenage girl problems teenage girl feelings like like sigourney reaver 
eventually made me believe, oh, this is this is just a, a, a teenage girl who's going through the problems that every other teenage girl went through at that age. And again, that's full credit to her ability to figure that out as an yeah. actress. Like, like you can you can look, read into like all the all the prep work that Sigourney Weaver did into playing a teenager. She has teenage girls herself, so she basically went to their schools. <laughs> can you imagine being like, "Oh well, no, why oh. why is your mom here? Uh, she wants to study us. Why? <laughs> she wants she's gonna pl- she's gonna play a teenager in the new Avatar. And why? then again, why? <laughs> why?" Right? But but she's because James Cameron paid us a, bought us a new house exactly paid us a lot of money yeah and you know like yeah Kiri 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 has this arc where where she she's different she she painstakingly knows she's different but she's different in a different way from the other kids where where the other kids you know they're different because they're forest Navi and an ocean Navi community mm-hmm. she's like. I, I, I feel like a closer connection to the world than I think anyone else does. And it's driving me crazy. Well, they, can I? Well, OK, never mind. It's spoilery. I'll stop. Go now, on. now there's one scene where she's she and it's it's kind of the main scene that plays in this trailer we just saw where she confesses all these like things she's been feeling to her adopted dad, Jake Sully. And Sam Worthington makes this choice. It goes like. Well, what do you think she's telling you, baby girl? And again, you have Sam Worthington calling a woman who's like maybe 20 years older than him, baby girl. But that never that never crosses your mind. You ju- you don't see Sigourney Weaver. You just see this young girl who who's going through these th- these things. And you're just like, you know, it, you just want to tell her it'll get better, you know. And then, and then she just has such a love and passion for just this world. She's like, she's like a granola girl, but in the best way possible. <laughs> like she's just, she just feels so happy being in Pandora that you can't mm-hmm. help but be like, oh, isn't that sweet? She's the only one. She besides Jake, she just, she's the only one that knows how awesome it is. Yeah, yeah, and and you know, again, credit to Sigourney Weaver that it's, you know, it's it, again, it's a weird situation, and like, again. She 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 has a pseudo flirtatious relationship with Spider, the the human boy, and at first you're like that's a that's a re- that's a significantly older woman talking to a little boy, <laughs> and and yeah. you know but whatever you know it is what it is now, um, so Jamie flatters as Netiyam. I'll be honest, Netiyam is the least developed of all the Sully children. Yeah. Uh, he's the oldest one. He's the older brother. He pretty much is there to. He put... is actually the most like a Navi in a lot of ways. Yeah, he's basically he's basically. You know how they say parents will never admit to having a favorite, but they have a favorite. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, and here's yeah. the thing: at least Natiri like hides it well. Like, yeah. literally, there's a scene where Jake Sully looks at his middle child Loak and goes like. Nitiam, and he goes like, "No, it's Loak," and and he like visibly just rolls his eyes, going like, "Oh, oh yeah. god!" In a moment that shouldn't have happened, it's like that's not the moment. He goes like, "Oh god, god and, and, and yeah, you know, Jamie Nitiam is basically the perfect oldest sibling son. You know, he's he's like he's like the most, you know, he's perfect in the sense that like he always he always does what he what he's told by his parents. And he's perfect yeah. in the sense that he always covers for his younger siblings, right? Yeah. So so he's basically he's basically like 
He's the older brother that a protagonist in a comic book would be like, I got to strive to live up to his to, mm. to his standards, right? You see this in, like, anime. You see this in, like, Marvel mm-hmm. comics, DC comics. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. So, yeah. And then, yeah. So, so that's, that's all he's there to do. So, outside of that, he's not... Like, you know, and he plays it. Fun. The actor does a fine job with it. Yeah. Like, the actor does, does a fine job with it. Now, the middle child, Loak, the one that you and I kind of agree is kind of more the protagonist of this movie. Yes. Played by Britton Dalton. Loak, you know, there's nothing groundbreaking about his character. I think you would agree with me. See, he's yeah. basically he's a he's a teenage boy who's trying to figure life. He's out. He's your standard Early 90s, early to mid 90s, teenage protagonist, you know, he feels like an outcast, feels like feels like his dad doesn't like him, that his mom's always babying him. He 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 wants to be like he wants to be important. Right. Mm-hmm. And and he has he he's the new kid in town, has the hots for like the hottest girl in the classroom. You know, yeah. all that shit. You've if you've seen a teenager move, teenager movie in the 90s, you've it's seen a lot Loak of characters. Is. What Loak is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, and, but that being said, Brendan Dalton plays him really well. And yeah. while you and I both don't think the whale shit was necessary, like he does a good job with it. He, he does. No, he, 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 he <clears throat> excuse me. Yeah. He does a great job with all, again, all the kid actors do a great job with it. He, he he understands what James Cameron wanted that to be. He wanted the whale moments to be the development of this character. Yeah. So he's like, okay, so I'm gonna like let this be the moment where my character like is honest and open about everything. Yeah. And that's how I do it, and he did it. Yeah. No, I mean, you know, he's the he has a moment where he finally is worthy, or he feels like he's earned Jake's Jake's like love, like for reals. And it's like it's a good moment. Uh, he has a monologue at the very end that I or near the end of the climax that I thought was really well said. The only complaint I have, and it's not just Britton Dalton that did this. It was, it was you know even Sigourney Weaver did this, Jamie Flatters, and not Trinity Jolie Bliss. She didn't do this, but but the Sully kids, they like sometimes they have like a slight Navi accent, and then mm-hmm. sometimes they don't. Yeah. And it was very wildly inconsistent. Like, like Sigourney Weaver was the best at it. Like, it seems like she was trying to do an accent and then she just gave up. and was like, okay, I'm not going to do that anymore. But yeah. Loak, Netanyam, they... Netanyam was the best one at it. No, Netanyam kept the, kept the accent all the way through. But Loak would be like, he'd have the accent, he'd lose the accent, he'd have the accent, he'd lose the accent. And no, that was the one thing I was like, dude, make up your fucking mind. Like, yeah. how, how did no producer, how did James Cameron not be like, hey... Either keep the accent or get rid of it, but you know, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. That that was my big complaint with with Loak, and then sure. you know Trinity Jolie Bliss as Tuck, she's just there to be the cute baby baby girl of the of the family, you know. Yeah, you know she she's, she's they she, give her some funny lines. They give works. her some funny lines, you know. She she she's the one that like is she's not the comic relief during the big climatic no. battle, but but when she shows up, she gets some she gives some levity to it. Um, you know, and she has a scene with Zoe Saldana at the end that I thought was very, very well done. 
you know mm-hmm. i think i think it was in the sense of like but that was always not to shit on a child actor but that was always saldana doing that yeah that was always saldana channeling the love the love and need to protect her children onto uh onto the character of tuck and i think it just worked really well and now mm-hmm. we have uh jake champion as spider you know he's mm-hmm. he's just playing a human guy honestly like let, let's be real here uh you you know it is really really hard to tell someone hey during this scene your eyeline needs to be here because you're going to be looking at like a seven foot tall thing and you better convince us that you're actually looking at a seven foot tall thing that's hard Mm -hmm. like asking actors to work in an environment that's almost exclusively you know green screen or, or cgi heavy like like hell well, you see it in um, in Alice in Wonderland, uh, Tim Burton's version. The actors, it's like green is everywhere. I don't know what to do. Exactly. And right. And, and the actors who are playing Navi, at the very least, you know, they can look at they can look at each other's eye line. They can interact with each other because they're, you know, even though they're going to be made to be taller, the proportions are around the same. So mm-hmm. so that helps. But poor Jack Champion, you know. He's it's if he's acting with them, he can't look at them in the eye. He he pretty much has to he, he he's given the tough task of of you gotta interact with them as if they are aliens. And that's tough. That's really, really tough. And credit to him, he did an amazing job because most of his scenes are with Navi. You know? Mm-hmm. He has a couple scenes with other human characters, but most of his scenes there's one scene he has with uh, Stephen Lang, right? In fact, most most of the film, like there, like he gets he gets held hostage by by Quaritch, right? By Stephen Lang's character, mm-hmm. and there's one scene, an early scene they have together, where Stephen Lang is like talking to him, and man, Jack Champion was was acting as if you know he was you know he's acting like if he's talking to a giant thing that he doesn't know if it's gonna hurt him or not, right? And the emotion he gives in the performance, again, this is a guy who is, he's either interacting with actors covered head to toe in mocap suits that he can't look at them. He has to look like two feet above them. Well, didn't they put something, didn't they have something on their head that was the actual eyeline so people could use it? Well, yeah, but you you know, I mean, it's still hard. It's still like hell. Ian McKellen, when he was shooting the Hobbit, like he had to interact with, uh, he had to interact with a bunch of golf ball or a bunch of tennis balls and it broke him down. And this kid, this, this is like his first big thing up until, up until this, he was just an extra on like movies. He was an extra in Endgame, and then mm-hmm. he gets cast in this. Right. Mm-hmm. And like, he does such a good job. He, he has this, like, I don't want to call it a romance, but he flirts with, with Kiri. Right. And when, like, imagine your first big gig is like, so you're going to be flirting with this character. Okay. Yeah, I can do that. Uh, she's going to be six feet tall. So you're going to be looking at a tennis ball. Okay. <laughs> and Sigourney Weaver is going to be playing her. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. And you kind of sort of do the Navi equivalent of slapping her ass. Oh, I forgot that bit. Uh-huh. Jesus. And you know what? He sells it. He sells it. He really, yeah. really does. So it, you know, it's interesting. I, I think, you know, so Hollywood insiders always look at each other's work while, while it's being worked on. 
-hmm. It's interesting that of the entire cast of young of young actors, he's the one who got who's gotten like another another biggish gig uh, after after shooting Avatar. Really? What did he get? He got uh, he's going to be in the new Scream. Oh, okay, cool. He's going to be in the new Scream. So looks like there's going to be big things for him because, again, like he had he had probably one of the tougher jobs for, for, for any actor, which is like, yeah, you're pretty much interacting with imaginary things. So let's see how you make it work. And yeah. he, he does it. He does it. He, he can put on his resume that like, you need me to act with CGI characters, bitch. I can do Done. it. Done. He's like, I can do it. And then some, I can do it. I did some. it for five. I did it for four movies. Well, two right now. We don't know. Two if right shooting, now. We don't know if they shooting the other two. Um, although, well, actually they shot all his scenes already. You're right. Yeah. I just, so either way, he did it. So yeah, he like, did it. That, that's that's interesting. That even even if uh, uh, four and five never get made, his footage will still be out there. His footage will still be out there because because again because he's human, they need to shoot everything while he looks the same age. Because the guy went through a growth spurt. Like he's, yeah, he does. You look at him if you look him up on IMDb, you're like, oh, okay, yeah. You're, you're like, a, that's him. You're a full adult now. Yeah. Um, so I, I mentioned him before, but Stephen Lang, we can't really get into specifics with Quaritch's character. And see, let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. What do you think about, without getting into specifics, obviously, what do you think about the direction they took his character, you know, coming back as a Navi and all that stuff? I think it's an example of one of those interesting ideas that they really didn't do much with. It's an interesting idea. They, and here's the thing. They hint at it. There's like scenes. They hint at something really cool and then they don't do it. Because then they do this whole thing where he's like, oh, well, I think I'm going to try to try to do this. Right. We're going to do this now. We're going to do it like this to, to better be able to fight Jake Sully. And, it's, and then like, it's like, let's answer that question in 10 seconds and let's move on. It's like, wait a minute. Yeah. And you're like, oh, great. We're going to get scenes uh, of, the, of these bad guy Navi trying to do this, this particular thing or doing these but they particular things. It. It's like, what? Or not just that. They just, they just don't show us anything. And then just cut to Loak being buddies with a whale. Yeah. And, and it's, it's frustrating because I'm like, you know, if half the movie was this, I, I'd be really engrossed right now because yeah. you're having Quaritch do something that never in a million years you should have thought he does. And he's open to doing it. And then you're like, oh, okay, we're going to give one instance and then we're moving on. And like you could have had a whole moment where it's like – your whole th- like, That could have been an entire subplot that could have taken up half of the movie. Yeah. You literally have a potential to do like a much more PG or PG-13 version of like of Heart of Darkness but on Pandora – like you could have gone there. Oh yeah. Okay, let me be. Let me be clear. Not R-rated. They work. No one's saying do that. But do like Heart of Darkness, pretty intense. Like it's him and his squad, like getting down and dirty with Pan. That came out wrong. But basically, really getting to know Pandora in a different way than Jake Sully didn't do. Like Jake Sully saw the nice side. They would get to use. I get know. To see the I know. Side. It's- and instead, it's like it's one little bit, and then it's like okay, we're fine now. It's like why? No, they why go like why? okay. Look at whales. Look at whales. And it's I was, like, I was like really on. mad because I was like, okay, cut back to what Quaritch is doing, you know. But we don't. And get, they never did. They never they did. Really ne- yeah. They. Oh no. The next time they cut back to Quaritch, it's Quaritch near some whales. It's yeah. Like, Wait a minute. Wait a fucking minute. Exactly. Now, outside of that, the movie touches on. Oh, the MacGuffin sucks. Sorry, I won't say what it is. Oh no. Yeah. The the MacGuffin is worse than the unobtainium. Like, and yeah. this is kind of a critique I was going to get to after. You know, so the last thing I'll say about Quaritch. 
they they he has this other thing about him that's really interesting because it comes to a head in the third act and it opens a new a potential path for Quaritch to be on on these next either the last movie the the third movie or third fourth and fifth movie mm-hmm. that's really interesting really really interesting I, i'm interested to see what they do with that thread mm-hmm. um we can't get into specifics over what that thread is but it was that one thing where I was like, okay, this is it. It, it gives depth to the character of Court. It really does. But, mm-hmm. you know, they, they, yeah, it was interesting. I, I wished they touched, because there's like three full scenes that deal with it, right? Three mm-hmm. full scenes that deal with it. And they're all really good. But then after that, they kind of like, they kind of like ignore it. But when it comes into a head in the third act, I was in the climax, I was like, wow. That's interesting. I would never have expected Quaritch to do that. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Cool, cool, cool. So let's see if there's going to be either one more or three more movies. I'd love to see where that goes. Yeah. Uh, now, the human characters. Mm-hmm. So really the only real human characters we see are Edie Falco as the general who oversees the human settlement city. You know. She's in there for five minutes. She's just she's just there to give exposition over what the Navi are doing and what the humans have been doing. It's not re- yeah. it's not really an, a character. It's just an exposition device Peace. thing. Yeah, and, and I love Edie Falco, but that's all she was in this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then you have humans who kind of who kind of do this thing where they're hunting a certain animal for a certain MacGuffin, right? Yeah. Now. So, so there's not really outside of Spider, there's not really a, a fully realized human character. They just aren't. Yeah. Now, here's the thing, and I know some people will say, "Well, that's the that's kind of that's kind of part of the whole cake of the Avatar thing," even though we're only just two movies in. And see, I don't know if you would agree with me. It, it's it's almost laughable how over the top evil James Cameron makes these human beings to be. Now, I get it. Some of you are probably saying, well, that's the point. Like James, And we accept that. Yeah, yeah. We accept that James Cameron has explicitly said, the humans are the bad guys. The humans are the bad guys, and I'm going to drill that point home. It's just that there's... There, there's a moment where it's like, really? This much? Like, there's a moment... Like, do we suck that much? There's a moment, right, where they introduce a new MacGuffin... Not because it has any bearing on the plot outside of that the way they get the MacGuffin makes the Navi mad. They introduced the MacGuffin really just to drive home how evil and vain human beings have become. Mm -hmm. Where they go like, this thing is for this very, very vain reason. Like Mm -hmm. literally, that it, it seemed like James Cameron constructed that entire scene to be like, we need to find like, like. Mining Pandora for unobtainium, which is used for like energy purposes, no, wasn't no, no. bad enough. Wasn't bad enough. They need to do something so over the top bad for something mm-hmm. that's so rel- so unimportant in the grand scheme of things mm-hmm. that yeah, human beings are just the most evil thing imaginable. Mm-hmm. And honestly, it's 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 laughable because listen, um, l- listen, uh. You know, Miyazaki has also made human beings the bad guys in a lot of his movies, right? But you know what Miyazaki does in his movies that James Cameron seems to not be able to do on his? What's he do? 
he at least humanizes his human Hume. villains. Okay, yeah. And that, okay, actually, you know what? That's something and I mentioned this a little bit after we saw the movie. There's a better version of this. It's called Princess Mononoke. Yeah. Okay. Where it is genuinely nature is all powerful and we must respect nature and be in harmony with it. This industrialization of nature is overall a bad thing and here's why. And yes, it's a touch preachy, but it works because you realize that the humans have no other option but to do this. And it's like, well, damn. Okay. That's a very interesting message. And and here James Cameron is basically like, no, no, no. Human beings are evil. Everything they do is for over-the-top evil reasons. And it's just so laughably, like, over-the-top that I just can't take it seriously. I really can't. Yeah. Like, like... <laughs> okay. Don't say it. No, Don't no, I'm, it. I'm not going to, but I will say this. So when the humans return to Pandora, right? Mm-hmm. You know what James Cameron does to drive that home? To drive that point home that the human beings suck to Pandora? When their ships land, the 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 jet the flames from the jet fuel of those spaceships literally destroy an entire ecosystem, right? Yeah. Like like literally literally human beings just landing on Pandora pretty much genocides an entire an entire ecosystem, yeah. And, and it it looks cool, but then you just laugh to yourself because you're like, oh my god, James Cameron really just wants us to hate the human beings here, and it's like there comes a point where. I, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, see, but it's happened to me. Where when a story just drives home that that a certain that the villains are just so bad, oh yeah, that you just it it just it loses its impact, right? Mm-hmm. Like, listen, the human beings were cartoonishly evil in the first Avatar. I'm not denying that. The, but again, this movie doubles down on it, everything good and bad about yeah, Avatar. Exactly, and it doubles down on how just how really f- just how bad they are like it 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 makes the the conflict look so like like so cartoonish that i like i'll never look at it and be like well these villains they're they're the the villains are just not they they have no depth to them and by villains i mean the humans as a whole there's no depth to them all they do is destroy like like it's not that i should be invested in the villains but i should be like oh this is this is going to be a tough tough uh this is going to be a tough conflict because the villains that like the villains make some good points you know what makes me mad about it what the 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 background thing with the fact that the humans are doing this because earth is dying basically they've killed their that's always been like the background noise for the first movie and this movie it's like well we have to all come here because earth is dying because we've polluted it to death so it's like, so they're, you have a reason to say why they're doing this out of necessity. Yeah. And you're still making them these cartoonish really villains. cartoonish villains. Yeah. Yeah. No. And it's, it's, it's one of those things that just, it, it takes any weight from the conflict because when a movie telegraphs how cartoonishly evil the other side is, like, like, is there any doubt that the Navi are going to win in the end? Is there any doubt? Like, None. There isn't. You know? It's how badly are the humans going to lose? Exactly. Right. And you know, that's just, that's just something I, I feel like, like, and I get it. James Cameron has said over and over, he's a tree hugging hippie. These movies are him getting his tree hugging hippie tendencies out there. It's mm-hmm. just like when it's so over the top, like you lose interest in the conflict. And if you lose interest mm-hmm. in the conflict, you're losing interest in the story. 
But as we talked about earlier, it seems like James Cameron, his focus isn't on the story. It's on how you're experiencing the pretty parts of Pandora that he wants you to see. Yeah. Yeah. He's all about the sensory experience. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's fine and all. Like, listen. Movies are a sensory experience. Yeah. And make no mistake when James that was a weird thing to say but you know what i mean yeah but when james cam so you know where do you know how james cameron fell in love with 3d how he personally oversaw the development and the presentation of the terminator ride in universal studios florida okay have you ever been on that ride yes it's in 3d when he saw the potential of 3d as an immersive experience he was like if if I can, all I'll ever do is 3D. It's when he decided that that either Battle Angel or or Avatar was going to be in 3D. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where he did it, and you know he helped design the, the Pandora experience in Magic Kingdom, and mm-hmm. it's everyone says it's like it's like you get your money's worth there. Yeah, and like you said, movies are a sensory experience. It's just when when your story is half baked. And there's only so much before, because listen, it's totally different a, what, a 20, 30 minute ride at Disney World versus Mm -hmm. sitting down for three hours in a movie theater where the seats aren't as comfortable. Yeah. You know, and everyone, and if James Cameron had his way, he would make all the theaters replace their seats. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean that, I do mean that as a somewhat of a compliment, but also just to show you what he's like as a person. Exactly. Yeah. Now. The last thing we'll talk about, C, and then we'll give our final ratings. Yeah. Now, the third act, the third act climax. Mm-hmm. We're not going to go into specifics. No. But I will say this. In the third act climax, the one thing that went through my mind is I was like, wow, can't believe I finally saw Titanic in 3D. <laughs> People were right. It was totally worth the, it was totally worth the price of admission. You know, yeah. I didn't. I didn't see the re-release of Titanic in in 3D because I thought that's no. Now you did. Now, now you I did. did, and I'm like, oh, okay. So it was cool. Yeah, it was cool. So, yeah, the the third act involves a sinking ship, <laughs> and yeah. here's the thing. Here's the thing. The moment the the moment it became apparent that the ship was going to sink, I was like, we're gonna get. We're gonna get all the scenes of 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 the Titanic sinking just with blue cat people now. And we did. And here's the thing, because it's hey, 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 here. Oh, here, oh here's it, here. there's no there's no iceberg, but otherwise it sinks in the same way. Oh, I will say this. I will say this. Kate Winslet saw what was happening. She's like, oh, fuck this shit. I've done this already. I don't need to ever yeah. do that again. Nope. Good luck, Zoe. <laughs> she goes, good luck, Zoe. Good luck, Sam. Take care. Send the kids my best. <laughs> She's like, fuck this. <laughs> and poor Bailey Bass was like, am I going with you? And James Cameron was like, no, no, no. You, you, you. You're going to be part of this. So mm. here's the thing. Is it is it like edge of your seat, like super cool action like crazy like crazy scene blocking like yes yes mm-hmm. like everything that blew people's mind about the titanic sinking and the titanic huh, blue people is here is here oh yeah it's Thunder. just guess what so see I, I don't know did you ever did you ever watch uh how to frame a painting no 
you you've never saw that YouTube series? How no, to frame a painting? Oh, oh, you mean every frame's a painting? Every, every frame of painting. Yeah, yeah. Yes, I've seen that. Yes. You remember the one he did about Michael Bay? Uh. Yes. Oh my God. You know what? Yes. Something he said about Michael Bay is that Michael Bay has a tendency to reuse not like not like take shots from previous movies and put them in new movies but he would literally recreate his shots in new movies like the shot of the of the of the missile oh, yeah. of the missile falling onto Pearl Harbor he recreated as Optimus Prime falling and transforming in uh, Revenge of the Fallen like he Michael Bay does that a lot and Michael Bay's admitted as much that what he likes is like he likes to take shots that he conceived in his early career and with new technology change it up and and do something even crazier mm-hmm. and, and people critique him for it I, I think it's a little overblown but whatever make no mistake that's what James Cameron does here in, um, in uh, The Way of Water during the climax mm-hmm. he Pretty much went all right. Everything I did in Titanic with with the with the interior of the ship flooding, with with all the all the doors bursting open with water coming in, all that. But you know what? I'm gonna have a couple fight scenes in there, and things are gonna be on fire. You know, and I think that's what it was. See, there is a moment where the water's like rising. And it literally is like, oh, yeah, that happened to Titanic. Literally. Yeah. The water rose. The water rose. Like, like you have a couple characters running in the interior of the ship, and then the water just comes crashing in. Oh, my God, there in. is even a sort of car-like vehicle that slid around for a minute. Oh, my yeah. God. The only things, and I think James Cameron, listen, I think James Cameron was smart enough to know, like, okay, if, if these two things happen in this movie, people are going to call me out, is the, the ship in question never breaks in two. Because if the shipping question broke in two, people would call him out. People would, people would be up and be like, oh, we've seen that before. Mm-hmm. And we don't have a scene of we don't have a scene of anyone floating on a on a on a piece of debris. We don't have. No. That. Yeah. It, it gets very close. It does get very close. Now, we have the scene of a couple like floating on a giant ship that that's that's sinking. And I like literally I was like, oh, my God, if these two end up on a floating piece of debris, I'm going to James Cameron's house. I'm saying, what the fuck, dude? But no. Mm-hmm. But everything else we do get. We do get the scene of the of like the people in a room like as it's filling with water and they're freaking out because they can't hold their breath. And someone else goes like, no, you need to do it like this. Hold your breath. Hold your breath. Right. We literally we literally get that scene again. Now, here's the thing. While you're watching it, while you're in the middle of it. I can't deny that you kind of get swept away. No pun intended. You get swept away with it. You're like, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit. And you can't help but be like, man, James Cameron's really good at at just kind of showing us crazy action. Like he is. Oh yeah. But like, see, you and me were leaving in and we were we were walking away and I just turned to you and goes like, I go like, that was the Titanic. And you're like, yeah, no, that totally was the Titanic. First of all, it was a lot of his movies throughout the whole thing. But at the end, yes, that was Titanic. And here's the thing. If you asked him, he'll just say, I took all that I learned from my other movies. Like, no, he's, he's literally you saying that it. in interviews. Stop. I just get yes, that. Yes. He's literally he's saying that saying in interviews. That. Oh, I, I, I'm actually mad now that he says that. He's, yo, he says, oh, well, I took everything I learned in The Abyss and in Titanic because, you know, this was shot in a big warehouse where they j- built like giant tanks. 
uh, for people to dive in. Right. Yeah. But he said, he said, oh, I took everything I learned from the abyss and from Titanic and from Avatar to make this. And the thing I'm like, yeah, you also you also looked at your old Titanic storyboards and we're like, oh, we'll just do this again. Yeah. And, and, and listen, does it is it so bad that it tracks from the movie? Not too much. But again, it's one of those things where you like, listen, I love Michael Bay movies. But I get people who go like, oh, he's lazy. He just reuses shots from old movies. I get I get that critique, right? It doesn't bother me. In this one, it bothered me for this for the for this one reason is that this is like this is like the this is like the money sequence. This is this is like the climax. This is this is what it what the whole movie leads to. And it's just like you just go like yeah i've seen this climax before in 1998's titanic mm-hmm. right same thing right um i'll i'll say this <laughs> like see have you seen jake champion like you've seen how he looks like now right he's like yeah 19 years old and stuff yeah i look at him right now and i'm like oh yeah that's leo dicaprio <laughs> yeah and, and Br- Britton Dalton also looks like Leo DiCaprio, but he's blue, so. Yep. He picked a bunch of Leos. <laughs> he picked a bunch of Leos. And, and you know, but, but yeah, you know, I think, I, I don't know if you have anything else to add about the climax. Like, I, I, I don't. Anything that I have to add would be very spoilery, which I don't want to do because it's still out and fresh for a lot of people. Again. But the- I will say that it, there was just this moment where it's like, the climax, I'm watching it, and it just kept going. Like, they had to keep going back and doing something. It's like, how many times... And you know what? The little girl says something at one point that acknowledges this as a joke, but I'm like, no, really. How did this happen again? Like, really? So that was my really only major thoughts about you know, it. But that's my complaint for the whole movie. I, again, the the only things James Cameron adds to it is that, like... You, and here's the thing. This kind of made me think, well, then it's not as impressive where there was no there was no sinking ship set. It's literally all digitally rendered. Mm-hmm. So you're like, well, they didn't create they didn't they didn't create a giant sinking studio, a sinking set to do this. They just had they just had uh, uh, all the mocap actors in their mocap suit. Oh, like, but wasn't the water real? So anything the water touched had to have been some sort of physical object. Yeah, but it's not like it's not like the literal object it was touching. It was just like a bunch mm-hmm. of like green blocks and shit. Yeah. Um, and you're like, well, that's not as impressive as when James Cameron created a literal sinking set for Titanic, multiple mm-hmm. literal sinking sets. So it, right. it's not as impressive. And you go like, okay, well, there's a fight scene, and then uh, a certain character does some mystical shit, mm-hmm. and you're like, well, the fight scene, it's like whatever. I mean. Like, you know, this is funny. Uh, So C and I saw a movie called The Inspection. And there's a scene where two characters are underwater trying to fight. Right. There's there's a scene. Right. Mm -hmm. And here's the thing. I was like, well, that movie had a fraction of a fraction of the budget of of the way of water. Oh, uh, like it is a toothpick in the budget. Yeah. That. But but that underwater fight scene had more weight and I was more invested in that than I was in the underwater fight scene here Mm. because 
at the very least, I'm like, these these guys are actually underwater. And, you know, there's there, you know, there's no way they could they could like edit around, like making sure the actors are always had air. Right. I had I had more emotional investment in than in this one. Because this was like, well, all I'm looking at is digital stuff. Like, I, I know there's actors actually choreographing and blocking and performing the, the stunt, but it doesn't feel as real as it was in the inspection. But, you know, that's just me. And, and then the mystical shit, I'm like, yeah, fine. But it's literally just there just to literally, literally look, look pretty. I don't know. I, don't know. I, I, I think, like, another thing that disappoints me is that People were saying like, "Oh, the action scenes are gonna blow your mind." I'm like, "The action scenes, you know, they're they're there. It's just very apparent that it seems like James Cameron was like, no, look at the pretty ocean of Pandora versus creating really compelling fight scenes.' And that that's just me. I don't know if you would agree well, with that. Well, I think so. Again, James Cameron, I think he just did the things he wanted to do for this movie. And he figured, oh, I had a writer's room write the script so I can just have fun with it. And I think that's the thing, is that I think they didn't realize you didn't need to spend five years writing all five of these movies. I get why you did it. But there's a moment, you know what, I'm going to go back to when I was in film school and I was, I, I did a TV pilot writing class. Al, I don't think you were in the same class as me, but I think you also did TV pilot writing, just at a different, a different time. And I think we had the same professor. I think so. I'm not 100% sure. But often what, we, what, we, what I realized and what the teacher pointed out was that the students would write the pilot to just build this world. At least a third of the class would build this world with the pilot. But nothing really happened in it. And what he would do is he would say, tell me what happens like in three in a, in three sentences, tell me what would happen in your in your first season, and for nearly all of them, he told them make that your pilot, and they would look at him like he's crazy. He's like, no, but that's put all that in your pilot, and you have a great pilot. And they would say, well, what about the whole season? It's like you got to make a good pilot first. So I think that's the thing here is that you write these four other movies, and they're like. We're going to have this art here, and we're going to plant this here, and we're going to do that there. And then in movie four, this will happen. And I think we saw a little bit of this flaw where when you plan too much, you see only the big picture, and you don't realize that you don't have a lot going on in at least this new movie. Yeah, because, again, uh, this whole plot, like, and here's the weird thing. In terms of like on a scene to scene basis, the, the pacing is pretty good. You know, ne there's never a scene that feels too slow. It's mm -hmm. just that you're like all these well-paced scenes are just the same thing of look how pretty Pandora is at in its ocean, how the mm -hmm. oceans of Pandora look and all the, all the sea life of Pandora looks right. They're well-paced, yeah. but you're just like, why am I looking at this? Like seeing it once. Okay. Twice. Sure. Five seven times. times? Seven, five, seven, 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 five. 75 times no right and um and and the thing is is that if if you take the actual narrative thrust of this movie if you take the actual all the narrative elements of this movie you get maybe an hour maybe maybe and here's hour? the other thing here's the other thing Jake. if you do the entire climax as is an hour and 20 minutes 
Yeah. And, and yeah, because uh, folks, we're not joking. An hour and 40 minutes of this is just look how pretty Pandora is. And here's the thing James Cameron forgets. Yes, we're now in the waters of Pandora. But you know what? We, are, we went to Pandora 12 years ago. We, we have an idea of what this world probably looks like. If you're going to show us new stuff, that's amazing. But a lot of it is just aquatic versions of things you already kind of made. So it, like, it gets to be a unique situation there, too. Yeah. Um, no, yeah. I think, I think ultimately, again, the movie, the movie ends in a place where it's like, okay, now the war is going to really start. And if, if there's not going to be a four and fifth, I hope that James Cameron uses whatever elements he had in four and five to get uh to make the ending i hope he puts it in the third one and i i hope that when he goes like oh there's just so much stuff in here he goes like well i guess i should cut all these just look how pretty pandora is scenes yeah because i i genuinely think he just he like i guarantee you john landau bob Iger, they told him jim the the these scenes are beautiful but it's just they're just there just to make pandora look pretty Get rid of you know them. what you know what they should have made him do? What? So you have a three hour cut of the movie. Okay. Now, you know, when you do this, you've already done a cut of the movie without any major special effects attached. For most yeah. parts, right? Yeah. Yeah. They should have sat him down. They should have sat at a he got he could pick a few people and he has to be there too. They have to sit down and watch the whole fucking thing. All three hours, not little bits, all three hours without any of the special effects and say, what did you think of it? What did yeah. you think? Yeah. That's, and it's like, okay, you sat there for three hours. What did you like? What did you not like? Okay, great. Now, does that, that, that would have had to have changed his mind a little bit on some things. Yeah, to be like, oh, wow, I'm just, I'm just feeding my ego of like, look how pretty this is. Yeah. Yeah, because listen, there are some movies that can justify being three hours. That ain't a lot. It's no. maybe like maybe maybe three, four movies total that justify a three-hour runtime. You know? Yeah, it's and, not. It's it's a rare feat, and usually, usually it has to be because it's based on an established work. Usually, or or on a historical event that they want to get accurate. That's also very true. Like I think isn't the Napoleon movie movie yeah. going to be three hours? Yeah, and you have you have to. Yeah, because of everything to. that happens. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, see your final rating. You know, listen, thinking about this whole episode, there are moments that we were sh kind of shitting on this movie, and then there were moments that we were gushing over on this movie. Like that's just the reality of this avatar franchise now so having said that i look at it and i think about it and i'm like did i enjoy the ride yeah i did but didn't did i get a little annoyed by by it yeah because if you ride the same ride over and over again you start to get sick well after a while this is a great ride but imagine not being able to get out of it it's like you're kind of stuck here but that being said, there are moments I enjoyed and had a good time with. So, because of the sheer visual spectacle and the fact that it did make one improvement in the casting of the actors, this is a movie. 
This is a movie. James Cameron makes a movie. The visuals fuck, okay? But after a while, your eyes start to hurt a little bit with how much, how many, how much, there are only so many great fucking visuals you can watch. So it's a movie with visuals that fuck. Uh, have you ever watched a hardcore porn, like a full hardcore porn movie that's all about just fucking, fucking, fucking? And then after you've, after you've pleasured yourself, you're, you're still watching it and you're like, what the fuck? No comment. <laughs> that's what this movie is. My dad listens to this. I'm not going to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> that's what this movie is in the sense of like. Yes, the visuals fuck, and they fuck hard. And, like, you're just so in awe over what you're watching that, like, I could totally see, like, a kid watching a part of this and being like, mm -hmm. I want to do whatever it is that you can make that look so real. I, I mean it. Oh, this but move, this franchise will inspire careers in the special effects industry. Yes, yes. And, but then... After the kid is like, after the kid has, has like his mind blown over the visuals he's seeing, he's going to be like, okay, why am I, why are you showing me this again and again and again? Like, okay, 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 okay. And then they're going to be like, okay, uh, my butt went numb. And I, you know what? I'm going to go to the bathroom and I'm not going to rush it because sure, whatever. And that's what this movie is. This is a movie where... Even though the visuals fuck, eventually you'll you'll be like, what the fuck? <laughs> I like that. Right? It's mm -hmm. a movie with visuals that fuck, but then you'll go like, what the fuck? Because the movie is too long. It's too mm -hmm. long. It, it's too long. It's paced well. Like, yeah. it, it's thank paced God. Very, it's paced very well. But you know, you know how like Girl with the Dragon Tattoo was almost three hours. Mm -hmm. But it was paced, you know, it's paced amazingly well. But you know what else? See, the mm -hmm. story is really, really engaging. Yeah. So that so that when the movie ends, you're like, that was not almost three hours. Oh, my God. Like, I was shocked when I saw Girl with the Dragon Tattoo and I left. I'm like, wait, that was almost three hours. Hell, I, it went by so fast. And this one, it's paced well enough that you're never like, come on, hurry it up. But you never go like, oh, wow, that went by so fast. You know, like, no, no, that, that was three hours. I, I am so happy that the acting is a big upgrade over the last one. Because I feel like if it wasn't, I feel like if it wasn't, I'd be a lot angrier. Um, Sam Worthington, Sam Worthington has found a niche for himself. He can play, he can play stern dad with soft center. And he should tell his agent, this is all I'm good at doing now. So please make sure that's all I get. Stephen Lang is doing a great job as, as Quaritch with a, with a twist. Sigourney Weaver is doing a really, really good job as Kiri. And the young cast, the, I'm pretty sure at least one of these kids is going to become a star. One of them. I don't know. Oh, yeah. who. One of them. Uh, Vegas odds are on Jack Champion right now, but I don't know. Brian Dalton was able to was able to do a good job being the the sort of lead of this movie mm -hmm. but listen all the problems people have with the last one are still here 
uh the story you just are like why why would you tell this story for the second like why would you create a this type of plot for for the second movie i don't know ask james cameron huh, who knows uh yeah this demands to be seen in theaters but at what cost uh, yeah at what cost like okay here's a question do you need to see it in 3d yes Yes, you need to see this in 3D because it's so immersive that I feel like that helps with the time passing by. Mm -hmm. I really do. Um, that being said, like if you're in a screening where, you know, maybe people are too loud or, or the chairs are uncomfortable or anything that could take you out of it easily, I feel like you run at risk at really feeling the time. And I'm sorry, this movie does not have engaging enough story or really engaging characters outside of a few moments with the young cast where you can be drawn back in. I feel like once you're out, you're like, what the fuck am I doing here? I fuck, I should just go get an early lunch or something, Jesus. Um, yeah, this is a movie with visuals that fuck, but then that eventually makes you go, what the fuck? Because, you know, time is valuable. And when the reason you're sitting there and your butt's falling asleep and your tailbone hurts like a motherfucker, when the reason you're there is just because the director couldn't refuse to cut 10 minutes of a whale looking bummed out. <laughs> I I'm sorry. It's just, it, yeah. it's one of those things. Like, like I loved watching the first avatar but then i realized that movie had a lot of flaws that movie had a lot of flaws and there's a reason why nobody can quote that movie you know it's funny like, the only thing people remember from avatar is i see you not that that's what i was about to say people don't even say that like like if you ask someone off the street quote me a line from avatar they'll be like oh and i guarantee you James Cameron wrote I see you to be the new the new uh I'm the You're, king of the world yeah, or yeah. I'll be back right yeah I see you was supposed to be that and it never was and I I feel like James Cameron doubled down on that because he has even more characters say I see you yeah <laughs> um if if it you know you know the the one part I think people will be quoting would probably be uh huh like, no. That's exactly it. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. I. I was thinking maybe. Uh, I. I. I was thinking maybe. The way of water is all around us. But no. Nobody's no. Who knows? Who knows? You never know what's the line that's going to be. Although James can like it's pretty obvious James Cameron really wants I see you to be the line, but whatever. But it's not. Yeah. So we've been going on for like. <laughs> We've almost made it the runtime of the movie. Oh my God. No, no, I refuse. I refuse. All right. Two Wait, hours wait. and 20 minutes, folks. We All did right. it. We, no, no, we're, we're ending it right here, folks. There's Actually, no, no there's going to, it's going to be cut down because of moments I had to walk away to be fair. Sure. But still, I was like, in my head, I was like, are we going to get to three hours? We might. Nope, 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 nope. This has been, what do you think? I'm Al. And I'm C. I Good night, you. everybody. <laughs> ah, you ruined it. Wah, wah, wah.